Hello, Neo. I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. You have many questions, and although the process has altered your consciousness, you remain irrevocably human. Ergo, some of my answers you will understand, and some of them you will not. Concordantly, while your first question may be the most pertinent, you may or may not realize is also irrelevant. Life is the sum of a remainder of an unbalanced equation inherent to the programming of the Matrix. You are the eventuality of an anomaly, which despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. While it remains a burden to seducelessly avoid it, is not unexpected and thus not beyond a measure of control, which has led you inexorably here. The Matrix is older than you know. I prefer counting from the emergence of one integral anomaly to the emergence of the next, in which case this is the sixth version. So you're undoubtedly gathering the anomaly's systemic creating fluctuations and even the most simplistic equations. The first Matrix I designed was quite naturally perfect. It was a work of art, flawless, sublime. A triumph equaled only by its monumental failure. The inevitability of its doom is as apparent to me now as a consequence of the imperfection inherent in every human being. Thus, I redesigned it based on your history to more accurately reflect the varying grotesqueries of your nature. However, I was again frustrated by failure. I have since come to understand that the answer eluded me because it required a lesser mind, or perhaps a mind less bound by the parameters of perfection. Thus, the answer was stumbled upon by another, an intuitive program initially created to investigate certain aspects of the human psyche. If I am the father of the Matrix, she would undoubtedly be its mother. As I was saying, she stumbled upon a solution where nearly 99.9% of all test subjects accepted the program as long as they were given a choice, even if they were only aware of the choice at a near-unconscious level. While the answer <laughs> functioned, it was obviously fundamentally flawed, thus creating the otherwise contradictory systemic anomaly that if it left unchecked might threaten the system itself. Ergo, those that refused the program while minority, if unchecked, would constitute an escalating probability of podcast. I'm not into that. You know why? Why? You removed Neo's dialogue. I'm what? You removed Neo's dialogue. Well, I didn't want to give you stuff to memorize. No, I no. Wanted to that that, that, that speech doesn't work without Neo's dialogue. Uh, do you know why I, I cut the speech out at that point? Why? Because that was the point where I was out of breath. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That was the test was to see how long into it I could go before I was about to pass out. It doesn't work without Neo's dialogue. Okay, well, I mean, you want to fucking, you want me to give you some uh, sides for the day and you have to fucking memorize just, like six lines? I mean, we can roll with with what you just did or we could we could cut it off at Neo's first line, which is crucial. But whatever, whatever, whatever you want to do. My name's Griffin. I'm David. Welcome to... Uh, 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 blank check with Griffin and David. That's right. This is a main series. It's called uh, uh, the Podchowski Casters. Oof. I honestly, Oof. feel I, like I know. I always trip up in my mind for a second. No, I was just gonna say I verbally feel like I just walked up a flight of stairs. Well, I'm like thing. verbally winded right now. You were trying right to piss now. me off, but yes. I think you actually just made yourself angry. I made myself furious. <laughs> because I feel terrible I was just right like, now. What a great scene. While you're, I was. <laughs> I mean, I was annoyed because I was. Very annoyed that you cut off Neo's crucial dialogue. That was the only part that annoyed <laughs> you. That was the only part that annoyed me. By the way, I made it through, I think, 30% of that. Oh, th- yeah, that's the other thing. I was like, because I, I, I know this movie so well, I was like, this is too long. Like, it's legit. It's actually too long. There's no way he could There was no it. way I was going to make it to the end, but I wanted to figure out what the right point was. And the point I, don't was even, I wasn't even listening. Where did you actually cut no, out? No, I just fucking, I, I literally felt like I was about to faint, so and I just, just said like, the word podcast. podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sorry, and I'm glad uh, that no one's listening to this episode now. Zero um, percent retention. I will. I will say a couple of our uh, our fans, uh, the Blankies, uh, mm-hmm. David Dogs, the Hoshogs, the mm-hmm. Griffheads. Uh, uh, they. I messed that up, right? 
Haas has no, you, it's, it, it's, whatever, it's whatever cool. the fuck it is. Uh, had, had said like had prodded me and be like, you get you, you got to do the architect. You do the architect speech. I mean, as we were just saying, off like there's no tagline for the movie that we're going to discuss. There's no obvious catchphrase. So, no, you know uh, what the tagline was? Well, in theaters May second. Yeah. Well, just, hey, that's when it was in theaters. That's all they needed. It was the Matrix two. They didn't need a tagline. They just said, hey, you folks want to see more Matrix? And everyone in the world said, yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Everyone's was like, yep. More of that. And here's one guy who was ready to see more Matrix. Producer Ben. Yeah. Producer Ben. Oh ben Hosley. just like, delete. The ben Deucer. <laughs> no, come <Swipe>. on. <laughs> They're staying with us. Poet Laureate, Mr. Positive. I don't mean Haas. about Ben. I just mean about No, no, I, I mean, yeah. No, it's like you start off with that weird opening, <laughs> and then now you got this long set of nicknames. <laughs> the tiebreaker. Right. Birthday Benny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The fuck master. Uh, yes. He's not Professor Crispy. Right. I always confuse which one he is in an hour. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he is producer Ben Kenobi. Yep. Yeah. Kylo and, Ben. And Ben Night Shyamalan. And Ben Night Shyamalan. And I, I would uh, please beg our entire audience to, to wish him a hearty hello fennel hello right fennel. now. Please I'm lifting do. an imaginary hat off of my head. That was what that signal was. Hello fennel. And that's good because ben, ben is a, a noted hat wearer. I am, and I'm also very much a proponent of uh, getting our merch in order. Yeah. So maybe a Hello Fennel hat to to a tip of a Makes tip of a to fennel me. to you, yeah. sir. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I want to point out. I think every merchandise idea we've had so far is related to Ben and only Ben. Yes, it should be. As, We're just as make, most of uh, this podcast, uh, really. Make a bunch of Ben merch. No, no, we did say, though, uh, erotic fan fiction coloring books. Oh, yeah, but we still haven't gotten that. We need, yeah. Yeah. No, we're going to make this happen soon enough. Ooh, we just got some ventilation here. I love I, it. I think for literally the first time, first time ever in during 2016. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right. Usually recording this podcast feels like we're in the movie Cube. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good pull. Good pull. And no one's spraying acid in our faces, there. though. I remember one of the Cube rooms sprayed acid on you. In Cube. Uh, God, we should go to Cube again. Remember, that let's do the fun. Cube franchise. Yeah. Cube, Cube 2, Hypercube, is that what it's called? <laughs> and then I believe there was a prequel, Cube Zero or something like yeah, that. Yeah, can I throw out, I think all sequels should be called Blank 2, Hyper, Hyper Blank. blank. <laughs> so this, by that logic, should yeah. have been called The Matrix 2, Hyper, Hyper Matrix. Matrix. All right, yeah. all right, that would have been fine. Yeah, that would have been cool. So, gents, we're here today. We're this is our podcast. We're discussing the careers of the Wachowskis, the great directors. Yeah, this is the Podchowski casters. That is, is the name of this. I, I did name it, but oh, uh, okay, yeah, cool. but it's okay. And, it was forty-five uh, minutes ago. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we're here today in an in a room much like the architects' headquarters. Very similar, uh, actually. White yeah. sort of cube, windowless, uh, no TVs on the walls though, to discuss the film The Matrix Reloaded. The Matrix Reloaded. Yes. The uh, second Matrix film released. I think it was May second or May first. Uh, I think it was. Sorry, it was May seventh. No, no, no. May fifteenth. The premiere was at Man Village oh, Theater. Really? I remember it being the first week. Of you know May. what? I think. I think Wikipedia might be wrong for the first yeah. time. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's May fifteenth. May fifteenth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, May fifteenth, two thousand three. Correct. It was the third film by the Wachowskis, uh, and it was. I mean, highly anticipated. Quite hyped. Uh, it was made in the era of Lord of the Rings, and mm-hmm. the, a little later was the Pirate sequels, where it was like, hey, guys, let's make them all. Let's make a couple. Let's make them back to back. Let's do it all in one big soup. So I, I believe the first film to ever do that was Back to the Future 2. Right. The Back uh, to the Future and 2 and 3. three. Right. Yeah, yeah, and there yeah. have been examples before where like you they make... would shoot pieces of one movie while filming another. Well, yeah, Super, Superman. Superman did that. No, Superman, I think, was genuinely intended to be a 1 and 2, and the only reason they didn't do it exactly like that was because they fired Richard Donner. So I... I think Superman is... 
I mean, I'm sure way back in Hollywood history, they used to do that all the time, where they're like, we're going to do six, you know, Captain Jack movie. Uh, not, right. Not, well, and like the Universal horror movies. I mean, they totally, did, there was right. shit where like they filmed Spanish Dracula on the same set as American Dracula. Makes sense. Right. Set's going to go to waste. <laughs> yeah, right. Come on. Just do one a day, one at night. I don't know. I believe what happened with Superman, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, was their plan was they had both scripts. They were going to do both simultaneously. Then they went sure. over schedule. Mm. And they were like, well, and also they cla- Donner clashed with the studio and stuff like that, right? Right. Uh, but yeah, the idea yeah. was they were like, okay, we're not going to have a time to do both right now. Uh-huh. Let's do like one and a third. Sure. Right. And then we'll take a break and then we'll come back and we'll do two. Right. Because that's the reason like Gene Hackman's barely in Superman 2, right? Is that right. He was like, fuck you. Like, and they had shot the third Richard already. Right. Yeah. So like the clash then happened and then they were like, you're not coming back. Hired back uh, Richard Lester yeah. and new writers to come back and do the second half of two. Back to the Future 2 and 3 was the first time where, they like... just, you know, we're going to make both sequels back-to-back. And the, release them same year, or were they a year apart? I can't remember. I think it might have been, like, a, a July-February type thing. Sure. I mean, they were, like, sure. seven months apart. And then, you know? of course, you know, right around this period, where we're, which we're discussing, you yeah. know, the Lord of the Rings movies were just wrapping up. Return of the King came out in 03. And they were all three at the same time. They'd made them all at the same time. And think they'd gone back and added stuff. They would do reshoots for every movie. They'd they do, would like, do a pre, two, you know, yeah, two-month pickup stuff, yeah. But they had shot everything. Everything in this like massive chunk, yeah, and which it was is to this day kind of insane. staggering to think about. And I'm not even a huge fan of those movies, but it's it's like an accomplishment you can't deny. But you know the amazing story that like changes film history Shoot. is um, shoot, yeah. Well, so uh, it was similar to this. Uh, Back to the Future was you know so beloved, everyone wanted Back to the Future too. Yeah, of course, right. Zemeckis and Gale bring a script to Universal, and it was like seven thousand pages long. Because they had, like, 50 alternate ideas for what they could do. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with a time travel movie, right? You can kind of do anything. Right, so they were like, what if we go to the 60s? What if we go back to the 50s? What if we go to the future? What if we go to the Old West? This and that. And I think someone, like, they one day went to them and were like, what if we did two instead of one? Yeah. What if we split the script in half and did this and then weirdly made one movie time traveling all over the place, one movie, just a Western? Yeah. So, so, it's weird. I I think it... We, we're not talking Back to the Future no, today, but, it, but I, I do think it was detrimental to both movies, uh, the decision they made. I love two. I, 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 I even I, like two with the cliffhanger. Yeah. I I, I, lo- I like two a lot. I like three a lot. I just feel like I would have liked both more, you know, in different circumstances. Yeah, I think possibly. They're flawed movies. But that was the first time where, like, at the end it's credits- It's to follow a perfect movie. Yeah, uh, one of the few- 100% perfect film. You know what? Made. This is another like movie that has like, that trouble. You know, tough to follow yeah. the matrix. Yeah. Um but uh that was like the first time where at the end of uh, Back to the Future 2 there was it said to be continued yep, right. and then there was the logo a, was ready. And then there was a trailer yep. for Back to the Future 3. Uh, the as, trailer was in the end credits which also happens, happens here. here. Yeah, at the end of the end credits yeah. for this one I think. Cuz even Harry Potter like okay, we're going to make 7 but it wasn't like they did it one at a time. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Lord of the Rings uh Peter Jackson thought no one was going to let him make three. Yeah. So he condensed it to two. Yeah. He went to studio, 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 and everyone said, no, 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 and two is too much, it too was, much. It was New Line who said, like, this needs to be three, right? They said, w- yeah. let me ask you, I have one yeah. problem. Why isn't it three films? Right. Yeah. And it became three, and the game was changed. Yeah. Now The game, it was changed. Now, the Matrix had come out. This was probably happening around the same time, because I think the Fellowship, the, yeah. the Lord of the Rings movie probably started filming around 99. 99. So, or at least pre-production and yeah. you know, whatever. All that stuff was happening. Right. So at the time yeah, that for sure. it's clear that they're going to make a Matrix sequel, they know that Lord of the Rings is doing this. Yes. And that is, in fact, uh, it's over at New Line, which is owned by Time Warner, you mm-hmm. know, which is in the same sort of universe as Warner Brothers. Um and obviously, like, if that had not worked, New Line would have gone under, as it later did, because yeah. they did that with the Golden Compass or yeah. whatever. But uh, 
So, you know, so yeah, maybe that idea is floating around in the corporate culture, but obviously also the Matrix. Uh, talk about a hit, you know? Huge. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Talk about a blank check. At the years between 1999, 2003, The Matrix just grows and grows and grows. Like, it was a huge hit when it came out, but it becomes one of the highest-selling DVDs of all time. Yeah, that's the thing. The it was cult a, around a, it deepens. A box office hit that then, right, everything became, else, just, you know, yeah. the soundtrack, right. you know, the everything. But it felt like, oh, this is as big as a movie can get, and then just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it sounds like, you know, we weren't alive at this point, but when people describe <laughs> what sort of happened between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. there were a bunch of re-releases, sure. which right. were in place of people having DVDs and being of able course, to rewatch the, it the over and over again. And just became, like, so fervent, or, where the time the second one opened, like... Our hopes and dreams rested on the shoulders of this movie. Yeah. No, I think with big franchises like this, there there are two strategies you can employ, right, for mm-hmm. how you do a sequel. Sure. One is you just do another story. Yeah, in the same world. And whatever. the second one is you make it a mythology. You know, uh, you sure, go, you dig here's in. the next chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you make it feel like whether it was always the intention or you're retroactively doing this, like... Right, well, it's the classic... Uh, argument that like people like George Lucas make where they're like, well, I always had six right. more movies. I always had a lot planned out. Right. And then, you know, which is always kind of hard to call them on. Yeah. But often feels not true. You're like, you see the sequel and you're like, I don't know if you really had this like really, really set in stone, man. But yeah, you look, you look at the difference between the two George Lucas franchises, right? It's Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Do you go, this is one saga Right. Or do you go, here's just another Indiana Jones movie? Yeah, the Indiana Jones movie sequels, they're almost like James Bondy, where it's right. just like, yeah, like, this time he'll do this. Yeah. There'll be a new lady, you know, right. and we'll just do another thing. The right. James Bond movies actually, like, completely disregard any sense of continuity, you know? Yeah, they, 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 they go have out in, of their way. They have internal continuity sometimes with the actors, like, yeah, you know, yeah but that's it. And then usually when an actor is done... It's kind of a soft reboot. In the case with Daniel Craig, it was more of a hard reboot. But then you like, still have Judy Dench staying on, like as uh, M yes. through two, which bonds. was an interesting decision. It was a contractual decision. It worked. Yeah, it, it worked. worked. It worked. But that was totally that hard. they had like yeah. made a eight picture deal I with mean, her. There's nothing like James Bond. Yeah, to be James fair. Bond's Like weird. James Bond is a franchise that's always played by its own rules, and it's hard to copy. But the with- Matrix doubles down in a way I think no franchise since Star Wars had. About being like, this is a saga. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there is another obvious example. I don't know that there is. The Planet of the Apes franchise is weird, and that comes before Star Wars? Definitely. The Planet of the Apes franchise is its own special crazy thing. But that was definitely a thing where they kept making sequels, but they did not have it all planned out. It was more just like, uh, you know. uh, Ernest. The Ernest franchise. And Ben, like, literally, we, like, paused, looked over, Ben was like, I got it, I got it. To the listener at home, Ben's performance on that was so good. The, it was, the, it was <laughs> commanding. The sincerity with which Ben hit his knee we like, and was oh, like. great, Ben has an interesting example. <laughs> I can't wait to hear his interesting example. Um, I love the Planet of the Apes movies. I'd love to do a miniseries on them at some point. They're fascinating. Point. I mean, I think it's like there's, like, Planet, and then there's, like, a nice three-film arc, right? And then there's, like, another one. Is that the... I can't remember. Yeah, yeah kind Let's of. It's weird. They're it. also, it's crazy. They're sort of cyclical because the, like, last one ends where the first one begins, kind well, of. Well, also, doesn't the second one end with Earth blowing up? Yes. And then they have to, like, deal with that because they had to make a third one, so they're like, Correct. okay, uh, they go back in time. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. And also, each one ostensibly has a different lead character. Yeah. Which is a very unusual but way often, to do a franchise yeah, like that yeah. because you have a new audience surrogate every time so like even if the world's established you have a new entry point to come in with which is something there's 
I like it a no, lot. No, no, there's something like, I'm, I'm more thinking like, yeah. could the Matrix have done something like that? Maybe. I was thinking Maybe. that a lot while watching this movie because. I mean, of course, that's ludicrous because this movie's great. But, uh, you know, I think like if you made a Matrix 4, let's say, sure. you know, let's say Warner Brothers goes to the Wachowskis and they're like, guys, we want, it's time and we think we, you know, we really need a, a hit. And it's like, why don't you make a Matrix 4? Then maybe they could be like, okay, well, it's just going to be about a new person. Jaden Smith. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, no, there, there is that thought. We're going to tie in the After Earth franchise. We're going to get them together. <laughs> no, because when this movie starts, it, it you do have three characters who sort of just like, got it together. You oh, know in yeah, the beginning of Matrix Reloaded? Yeah. That's what I love about this movie. Okay, so here's- Oh, P.S., I love everything about this movie. David, here's, here's the challenge I want to throw to you, and I shoot, don't say this shoot. in any sort of antagonistic way. No, 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 well, <laughs> I bet you do. No, I don't. I genuinely no, don't. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I had not seen this movie since it came out, right? Uh-huh. 2003, I was amped for this movie. Yeah, we should maybe talk about that for a second. But if you want to throw your challenge out first, let's, let's build up. Let's build up to this, and the challenge will come yeah, out of that. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we probably both saw this movie in theaters opening weekend. Yeah, I, I saw it, I believe, opening night. I saw it with my friend. You were probably 14-ish, 2003? Uh, I would, yeah, I would have been 14. Yeah. yeah. I was like 17. Yeah, I was. And like obviously, I think we were both amped. Yeah. The trailers were great. I mean, I was going to say, I even remember a year earlier going to see uh, Attack the Clones. Sure. Attack the Clones! Yep. Uh, with my friend Skylar Reddick at the AMC 25, and they played the first teaser for The Matrix Yeah, that, that, that rings a bell, yeah. And the teaser was so good, everyone walked out of Attack the Clones being like, and remember, can't wait, can't wait. I yeah, liked Attack, Attack the hype. Clones. It was, you know, it was like, whoa, Yoda, we were all like We loved it at the it. time, but even walking out, we were like, but that Matrix trailer was the real I, thing, I remember, right? and I, fr- I should have wa- rewatched the trailers before we recorded, I forgot to do that, but like, I, I just did. remember the trailers being like hot shit. They're really good. Really, I think really, they really, still really hold good. up as yes. really incredible pieces of like, uh, a trailer uh, editing, yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember that was like everyone walked out there and was just like, when when Star Wars started, we were bummed out we couldn't watch Matrix Reloaded immediately. Yeah, you know, and even like amongst my friends who I was a big movie nerd, but other people weren't. Everyone was hyped, and they were like, I heard they're doing two at the same time. Yeah, they're yeah. filming in everyone Australia. Was in. It's yeah, this big yeah, thing. Yeah. Like everyone knew all this shit about what was going. on. And there was on. all the stuff. There was like the Animatrix. There was all the like general f- stuff floating around. Well, this was like the first time that someone really tried to make like a big transmedia property where yeah, the story sure, was fragmented. Sure. So you had... Again, I'm trying to think if there are any other examples, but for sure it was very concerted because partially I think just because the Wachowski were like, we like comic books, we like video games, yeah. we like anime, let's like do it all, right? right? Like, yeah. So they have like six anime shorts. I think nine. nine? I think there are nine Animatrix right. movies, yeah. Uh, we will rewatch them for in, this. In various like forms, like there's a CGI, CGI one, yeah, right, there's an, right. you know, like various forms of animation. Different directors and stuff. I think mm-hmm. one or two of them were released theatrically. I know one of them was released before I think only, Dreamcatcher. I think only Final, Final Fight of the Osiris. I think And right. that was before Dreamcatcher. Yeah. And that was the one where, I mean, to look at it now, it looks like a PlayStation 3 clip, but like right. back then it was like, photorealistic. look at this. Crazy. Like, yeah. The video game is like a parallel story from a different perspective. We, I think we talked about that. And Enter the Matrix, it's called. Yeah. It, it's basically just like filling in little chunks of Jada Pinkett Smith's character's story. The most fascinating character in the film. <laughs> Ni- Niobe. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I was just reading, they shot an hour of 35 millimeter footage. It's on the Blu-ray. Yeah. I only noticed this when I was leaving, but I am going to watch that and we'll comment on it for future sure. episodes. But there's an hour of straight Wachowski footage. I remember reading some interview with Jada Pinkett Smith at the time where she was like, I literally would be, they'd be setting up the shot and I'd be like, is this for the video game? What's this for? Is what is, And they'd just be like, just don't worry about it. You yeah. know, like, 
like she she did not know what was in the movie, like of what she had made. But there's a lot of this where like Naomi's character doesn't really do anything in the movie of much consequence. She's no. there to tie to the video game. You know? I guess so. I, yes. I mean, that's when she shows up near the end of the movie, I think they're thinking like, and you'll play the video game. Yeah. You'll have known where she was up to. And it's like, we don't care what she was, was up to. She's big... uh, like, what, the 12th lead? Like, yeah. come on. That was their big gambit at the time. And then even like the kid who Neo saves is one of the Animatrix shorts. Yeah. He, he, he works better, I think, just because in the movie you're like, look, I get it. It's just some fucking kid, like, you know, that yeah. they rescued. Like, we get what the job that, that, of Neo is. That people like, are looking yeah. up to Neo and they're indebted to him and all of this. But I even remember seeing it with my friends and being like, oh. he's more of a problem in the third movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember seeing this, like, everyone knew that it was this big transmedia thing. And I it's, remember yeah. seeing it with friends, like, who once again weren't as movie literate as, as I was. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We, like, the kid would show up, we'd be like, oh, I think he's a fucking he's cartoon. An animatrix. Like, anytime something was sort of thrown out, we'd be like, is that from the comics? Like, you were watching it knowing you needed these appendixes, which was mm-hmm. very different. So, A, like, planning the franchise out in advance that sort of way. A big, and, you know, maybe largely a misfire, but a big epic undertaking. And the transmedia thing, which people thought at the time was sort of a misfire, like, the video game was not well received, you know? Yeah, it's a bad game. Right. <laughs> and, and people felt like all these other narrative threads were a hindrance to the movie because it made it confusing. But now you look at how well Star Wars is integrating all this stuff. Yeah, right. It was an early attempt at something that is now much more commonplace. Which is a thing, you know, I mean, that was a big thing with, with Georgie Porgy with like, I mean, his, yeah. you know. Um, I wonder what he thinks of the Matrix movies. I'd be fascinated yeah. to hear. Um, but, you know, like uh, we talked about with the off uh, reference, uh, uh, J.D. Amato, who was our guest on the digital filmmaking episode for Attack the Clones. Yeah. About how it's like, this doesn't work, but he needed to fall on his sword to allow other people to run with this. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. which is a thing I think Peter Jackson did with the high frame rate stuff, where it's like, those movies look horrific. Horrific? The Hobbit uh, prequels? Yeah, yeah, the yeah, the yeah, Hobbit no, trilogy? Not, I only saw one of them in the high frame rate, and Same it was here. like literally by mistake. I think it's because I went to a press screening yeah. and like that's what it was in. And like I just don't know what anyone was thinking with that. Like I don't know how it was, that was disastrous. Allowed. But disastrous. but also I mean Ang Jackson's Lee... been pretty upfront on the Hobbit about like I was making the plane in the yeah air. I had no like, idea what I was don't going on know. yeah and he fell on the sword for everyone else like he died for our sins. But now the new Ang Lee movie is supposed to look amazing, and fucking Cameron's doing all the Avatar movies in like fucking four DX five billion frames per second. I get your point. Is like you know hey you know you gotta you gotta walk before you can run or whatever and it's like you know they 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 tried to run and it didn't totally work but like at least it laid the groundwork. The Wachowskis are big thinkers in in every sense, you know? I mean, they're big thinkers and they're deep thinkers. And this is a movie with a lot of ideas. And they're not just the ideas within the body of the film, but the ideas in the making of the film. Sure, but there are a lot of ideas in the body of the film, perhaps too many. Okay, so I see this. I will admit. I see this opening weekend. Yeah, me too. And I walk out and my reaction is, well, I think I don't get it yet because I haven't seen the third one. Yeah, my reaction was uh, angry and like really, I was like, that was bad. I didn't like it. I was def- I was definite about that. But I did have that like inkling where it's like, well, you know, it's part of two and like maybe the second one will sort of bring it all into, because the film has one of the worst endings oh, it's horrific. a film like this could have. Absolutely horrific. You know, and obviously yeah. like a lot of these films have this trouble, like Attack of the Clones kind of has this problem, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of... A lot of the middle movies where it's like, okay, or you know, there's more coming. Yeah. But even on that, like the ending is downright confusing if you've just seen the movie where you're like, who's that again? Like you know, like you don't know. Well that yeah. whole thing. Yeah, but Back to the Future Two, <laughs> you have to say Back to the Future Two does nail that one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ending of Back to the Future Two I, is yeah, like it's uh, it's decent. Yeah. yeah. Um Decent. 
Yeah, but, but I, I was I was disappointed. I didn't hate it. I think I tried to convince myself I liked it more than I did. Because A, I was like, well, I'm stupid. I'm 14. This movie's throwing a lot of ideas out. I think I don't get it. Yeah. So I was like, A, I might need to see it a couple more times and read some books to understand what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> and B, it might be that when I see three and I see the big thing they're going sure. for, it makes sense. And the analogy I threw it to my friend at the time I remember was like, I feel like this movie threw a bunch of balls up in the air. And the question right now is catch them, the yeah. third one catch them. Uh, I, I was, I think, and our age difference, which we talked about in the last episode. 14, pretty, 17. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. When I saw The Matrix in 13, I was so impressionable and so excited. And yeah. so it was perfect for me at the time. And when I saw Reloaded at 17, I was like getting a little cynical yeah. and like kind of contrarian. And so I was the perfect age to hate that movie, to mm-hmm. just be like, fuck them. Like they blew it. Yeah. I love The Matrix and this sucked. And I, I mean, this is like a big memory for me. And they've since blown their sort of like reputation in this way. Mm-hmm. But the Angelica Theater in New York, which was famous for being sort of like the, the big first art house cinema, the sort of vanguard of like uh-huh. the New yeah. York. Art house multiplex. Art house multiplexes, yeah, yeah. right? It's like seven screens or whatever. Yeah. And it's so one of the worst theaters I've ever attended. Absolutely one of the worst theaters I've ever been to in the entire world. If, if the pavilion didn't exist, it would be grand champion of worst theater in New York City. But their programming and their location was really important. Of course. And so it I still mean, gets you know, grandfathered in, but it's objectively an awful awful place to see well, them. It's the train. You can, uh, it's the train. It's the train. You can hear the train. You can hear the F train running underneath. Uh, every movie theater is like basically it's a very narrow corridor and yeah. it's like if you're not sitting in the right seat and you're behind like the wrong person, goodbye uh, enjoyable experience. Like no no chance. The seats are really stiff and uncomfortable. There's one, yeah, they're terrible seats. There's one theater where they routinely forget to close the doors before yep. the movie starts and you have to get up and close the damn doors yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's all- That little one next to the escalator. All the screens are in a basement and the basement is directly above the train. Anyway. And the floor is made of tissue paper. What, what's the point about the Angelica, though? Also, three times at the Angelica, I have uh, seen them play the wrong movie. Fair, fair. <laughs> totally fair. And one time it was The Fountain. that They played the right movie, uh-huh. and then twice over the course of one film's running time, the projector burned through the film. Hey, man, the, that's just that's just Darren Aronofsky's hot filmmaking, just, you know, I mean, yeah, setting a projector Yeah, he's coming fire. in hot. Okay, what, what's your point about the Angelica? You didn't see this at the Angelica. The Angelica fucking played The Matrix so Reloaded. Just, so you're saying it was like, it was such a hot movie, like, on every sphere, in every quadrant, that even the indie picture house was like, we're going to have The Matrix Reloaded. They've since lost their integrity, and the entire reason the Angelica existed in the first place was like, we're going to play the movies that other theaters won't play, of course, that's the, the best it. films, right? Yeah, I mean that was the idea. Was well, like now it's like there's these indie laws or whatever, and yeah. the Angelica gets half the indie movies, and the Landmark gets the other half, and, and you're like, IFC. please God, right. can it get? Yeah, yeah. And then there's IFC and the yeah. Film Forum, which get kind right. of the leftovers. Yeah, but the Angelica at the time was the one, and so it's like they're not going to play a blockbuster because it's already playing in a bunch of screens, right. and they but don't. They were just like, give me that money. Well, and it was also like we respect this movie. Fair enough. Like they also recently fucking did a run of Entourage, so they've now like lost whatever they had <laughs> going for them. They did Entourage for a month, and I tweet at them so angrily because they fucking like kick slow west off their screens after five days to play Entourage for a month. But great, The Matrix Reloaded, slow west it was right. like a big cultural thing where it was like, Fair. even the art house okay. theaters are like, let's do this. So what's your point? So here's the challenge I throw to you. Sure. I had not seen it since then. I saw it maybe yeah. two or three times in theater when it came out. Yeah. Because yeah. I wanted to convince myself to like it. I only like saw it the one time. Yeah. Right? And I was like, fuck, I gotta, I gotta like this. Yeah. And I still thought I kind of liked it. Yeah. I disliked Revolution so much, I wrote both of them off. I haven't seen either since they came out. Yeah. 
We've been friends for a while now. And I've talked about revolutions, like, uh, but yeah, go ahead. You have told when me. I, when I saw revolutions in theaters, yeah. I was furious. As was like, I, yeah. yeah. Um, I was less furious on this one, but we were both furious at revolutions. By the end of revolutions, it was like, well, all right then. Yeah, you know, I, like, I, I no hope now. You know, they blew it, I official. Mean, you know, the, the most uh, representational thing I can say is that I had a shelf of Matrix Reloaded toys, even though I was, like, mixed on the movie. But what's your challenge? I get it. And I then after you. I saw revolutions, I sold them. I was like, I don't want these anymore. Okay, so what's your challenge? I, I need you to explain to me why this movie is good. Okay, because well, you've that's been the saying this forever, <laughs> and I've been so excited to rewatch it and come around to your point of view. Yeah, right, right. And right, I, you know, I, I'm older. You're I an old man. I don't now. know if I'm wiser, but I'm less stupid than I used to be. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, tried to view it through the prism of everything you said to me, and I really, I would have loved nothing more than to walk out of this viewing in my fucking apartment and go, David's right, it's a masterpiece. But instead... I don't know. I just, I don't even you, fucking know what to make of this Did you dislike it, would you say, as much as when you were a teenager? Or what, like, what, what, what was your thinking? Well, I think at that... Forget me, you know. Yeah, you know. I think at that time, I was trying to convince myself that I liked it, no, and but I went, now. it's okay. What was you thinking now? Now, I was like... I, I respect it. I don't think right, it's very that's, good. That's pretty. That's a fair call. But I kind of appreciate it without yeah, enjoying like, it at my all. My opinion on this movie is very much like, as a commercial piece of art, it is oh, like lar- largely a failure. Oh, it's a failure. It has yeah. some decent action, uh, especially at the end there. Yeah. Uh, the freeway chase. I think especially. that chase is great, and I think the one in the French mansion is pretty it's, solid. It's, it's pretty solid, too. I and, think the uh, Agent Smith fight is horrific. Yeah, well, it's you know, it's kind of the same as the Attack of the Clones. It's the Yoda thing where, fight, which at the time well, everyone I mean, thought was great. I mean, yeah. and I can tell you a little bit about you know that was where they were like, we're gonna do a bullet time thing, but yeah. with a hundred people, and like midway through filming, basically Don Gata, who's the visual effects guy, is like, that's literally we've decided that's actually impossible to do. It we can't do it. So they started doing you know they just CGI. Yeah. yeah, and it looks like garbage. Yeah, and like they invented the virtual cinematography techniques that now are like fucking. You make a whole movie using those. Like the right. Jungle Book is one hundred percent that technology. Which, like literally, there's no cameras in that movie. Basically, once again, they died for our sins. But like totally. But you, I mean, like own, that yeah. fight is a disaster to look at, but also kind of a plot disaster. Like it, none of it. It like you're watching it and you're just like, why is this happening? Like, what, what, what story purpose does this serve? Like, what is this? What is this? Yeah. I guess it just serves the purpose that, like, now you know Agent Smith can make lots of himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> like, okay, I guess. Right. So, so, you know, as a 14-year-old, I was looking for a sequel to The Matrix that made me feel the way The Matrix did, right? Yeah, and it's a good question. What did we want this movie to be? I think that's a fair question, I, I right? I was trying to watch this and figure that out. I was trying to think, what was I expecting out of this film? Because I look at the trailers and they get me excited and I still don't know what I think it's promising. Yeah. And I realized, I sat it's down really that theater. It's really hard to imagine what it could have been, like, in a, a more sort of- That's the thing. Nominally, like uh, commercial sequel. I think I sat down in the theater and had no idea what I actually wanted. I wanted yeah. to be as surprised as I was watching The Matrix hard, the first hard time. Hard to do. That's the thing. Right. You know, I, I mean, that's what's tough is it's not just like, oh, The Matrix is really good. Like, yeah. you see something like Guardians of the Galaxy and you're like, good, make a sequel. Yeah, just like, can I have more of these guys pound like, around? Fun characters, they joke, yeah. they fight aliens. Good. Easy great, to make a great, sequel. Right. I don't need the sequel to be to explain like the world of Guardians of the Galaxy right. in like extreme depth. I don't need bigger picker, picture mythology. I need like, there's a couple of villains, there's yeah. a MacGuffin, right. and then at the end there's a big fight, but you know, I get it. It's not going to be fucking, you know, Shakespeare Joking here. some pop songs, and it's like, I, you know, nice I, don't, pop songs. I don't know if the movie's going to work, you know, but I know there's a clear roadmap that a it's, six-year-old could tell you is what yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 should be. In in basketball, you know, is when you're drafting players. <gasps> no, it's okay. It's very brief. You like, talk like in draft day. 
Yes, but okay. basketball. Can you put it in that in those terms? Well, sure, in football. Yeah. It's probably similar in football. Okay. I don't know, you know, you talk about a player's ceiling when you're drafting him, right? So it's like okay. you see a player in college and you might say, he's good right now. He's probably going to just be this, you know? Yeah. He'll, he'll be good. And then you see another player and you're like, look, I get that he's rough around the edges, but we know from like doing this for years that he's got the kind of skills that if you develop them right, he could be a megastar. Sure. So like the ceiling is very high, but it's a more high risk thing. So. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the Matrix is, right? Like a sequel to the Matrix is a high ceiling. You could make something incredible. Yeah. Like talk about a world where you can do anything. Yeah. Guardians yes. of the Galaxy. You know, you know what you're gonna get. That sums it up, right? The little noises I just made. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but something. Yeah, I I don't know. With this, you you just go like I don't even know what the paradigm shifted so much in the wake of this movie. Mm-hmm. That I don't know what I want out of it. And it's also this weird, like, you can't go home again thing where the Matrix is a hero's journey. It's someone coming to their position. It's a new yes. character entering into the world. Yeah. Right? You know what this movie is? It's like a total subversion of the hero's journey. Man, that's why it's so good. Okay, so... It, I would have... All right, I think I know what I wanted. No, no, so or Ben, what, what your experience, maybe. I believe, was also seeing this at the time, but you did not rewatch it, you told me. I did not. Yeah, no. I, I mean, didn't have time. You yeah. didn't watch, okay. We're okay, doing gotcha. these episodes very close together, and I don't think we can really reasonably expect Ben to have yeah. to watch everything. We're doing three in a row, yeah. Um. Oh, so anyway, so I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I left and I was just like, those were a lot of keys. That was my takeaway. <laughs> Now, Ben, you like size. You like size. But I do. do you like quantity, or is that less important to you? Because it's, it's a lot of keys. When it's an oppressive amount of keys, I'm on board. So did you find the keymaker's so set of keys to be an impressive amount of keys? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's a lot was, of keys. I was like, that was a I think a he has two layers of clothes that are covered in keys. <laughs> He's got like an outer and inner vest. Can I ask a very, a very serious question? Like, a, Can I ask a very serious question? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Has Ben become our finest living film critic? <laughs> like, what if it was like USA Today, and there's like a picture of Ben, <laughs> picture of Ben like leaning with it against his fist, and then and it's just like the Matrix Reloaded, and it's just like those were a lot of keys, and it's on like the front page of USA. If Variety just lost those like sure three critics, right? Keys. Justin yeah. Chang just left Variety. You should went put to the LA your... Times. Congratulations, yeah. Justin yeah. Chang. Uh, yeah, you know that was. Thank you, Ben. Thank You're you, welcome, ben. guys. So this God. is this movie is now thirteen years old, but that that's what's lodged <laughs> what lodged in the memory palace. <laughs> ben has the best brain in the universe. <laughs> Uh, me and Ben had a 20-minute discussion about smoking weed uh, just before we started recording. And uh, Well, because so. let's, let's, you know, call it out right now. You know what day it is, gents? When we're recording this, you're okay. hearing this later? Uh, 421, baby. You know what that means? You smoke a doobie plus one. Uh, yes. One more toke, bro. All right. Uh, anyway. I, haven't, I haven't smoked weed in nine years because it gives me panic. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, uh, but to 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 go back, uh, that was my takeaway. That's what I've retained is the key statement. But uh, thinking about it now, I would have maybe liked to, <laughs> to have add seen. To that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I would have maybe gone in the direction of a time travel. Like add that to the to the the story. Definitely what this story needs yeah. is a, another complicated. You know interface. what I mean? Make it like make it like have now time travel built into it too. Oh, boy, that would have that would have been great. You know that's never that's you know it's an interesting point because like the Matrix is a computer program, right? I mean, what if you could go anywhere. into the Wayback Machine, basically? <laughs> like it's oh, basically like just that. the internet. <laughs> yeah, I like what that. if they made like a crappy Men in Black Three style, just like sixties, <laughs> where everyone's a hippie. 
That would be the worst awesome. movie it's, ever made. And it's like uh, the program is like, you know, like six, 16 bit, you know, like it's oh, like that'd be great older if they program. All like Mario yeah. Oh my God. We just fixed the Matrix sequel. Wow, fixed the, the glitch in the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. Agent Smith is, is shooting <laughs> non protesters. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. So, Griff, do you have something you want to say, shells. or should we get into the plot no, of this I, movie? I, yeah, I want to. I want to. Yeah, I want to get into this. So, so this is this is just what I'm trying to set up for for you to sell. You me want me right? to try and sell you on that this is a good movie? I struggled this entire time to watch it and try to find a, a viewing of it where I could could love what it's doing. Sure. And I've dropped all expectations of it functioning as like the Matrix sequel that a 14-year-old boy would want. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is like... Or functioning as a, like an even vaguely traditional piece of Hollywood storytelling. Right. Yeah. Now, you know I love what I perceive to be like transgressive acts within the studio system. Absolutely, right. right when right. I see these films... Which that to are, me, this is a classic example. Of right, 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 right. So that's why I was so primed with you throwing that interpretation out to me to see what you saw. And I just... Uh, you never explained to me exactly in great detail hmm. what is you see in I'll this try, film, I'll try. Because I was always like, I want to wait and see. I want to yeah, wait and yeah. see if I see it. But like, uh, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about Iron Man 3, which is a movie that a lot of people hate. And you and I both see is fucking a masterpiece. Yeah, it's a movie. It's a, the best Christmas movie. It's about, you know, like uh, personal redemption and like, you know, the the like the sort of rock bottom moment like yeah, where like, you realize what's important in your it's life. It's like id fighting ego and it's Just iconography fucking... that the idea becoming bigger than the man and all the all the stuff. I think it's brilliant. And but it's it... also like an 80s caper comedy, which is like exactly what it needed to be. It's everything about it is great. And I get why people who hate it hate it, even though those people are stupid, because it's I, like I don't I, lit, I literally don't get why people hate that movie. It's <laughs> dumb people. But, but genuinely it's, confuses me. It's like slapping the hand of people saying like, you think you want this, you don't want this, this is what we're doing instead. You know, it is like a transgressive act within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. This, I just, I can't figure it out other than, like, oh, there are a lot of cool ideas in this movie, and this movie just feels like throwing three ideas out at us per minute. Sure. Okay. Whether it's a philosophical concept, whether whether it's a visual idea, whether it's a, a deepening of the world, a new character, you know? Yeah. It's just, like, elements, 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 elements. And it feels to me like, I watched I this movie, and my, my big complaint is... Yeah. I wish they hadn't gone, let's make two and three, and let's make it a self-enclosed trilogy, and this is a clear story we're telling. Uh-huh. I, I wish they had gone, okay, we have ideas for 20 more Matrix movies, let's just keep making them. Yeah, no, that's not what they thought, and I think they were right in doing what they did. Okay, so, so please I, explain this So I think much yeah. like the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels, and Which I mean, I, don't I, like, right. I don't like as much as this, but I, like I also think- I like At World's End is the only one I like. At World's End is much better than the second one, for sure. And much yeah, better than the first one, I think. I don't like the first one. Oh, I think the first one's fun. I mean, but fun, but anyway. But like much like those movies, which were also made together and yes. released close together. Right, followed this um, model. Yeah. The writers, I think, sat down and they had a really big philosophical, like a lot of concepts mm -hmm. that they mapped out. And then they forgot to like make it make any sense. Yes, <laughs> like correct. you know, like if that makes sense. Like yes, it's oh, something yes. you have to like almost like primer. You have to like sit down and like map it all out and be like, oh, I now see what's going on. But just watching the movie once is not enough. This is a movie that feels like you need a map to watch it. It absolutely, and <laughs> that's know? why I think people are too harsh on movies like The Force Awakens or something, which are like, or the Marvel movies, which are like really successful pieces of commercial, commercial propulsive storytelling. Yes, about really like uh, big complicated worlds. It's like and they're like, oh, it felt pandering and easy, and it's like, dude. Dude, if they made the other movie, you'd probably hate it too, because it would be really hard to understand. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I Dude. thought- Dude? I thought about Force Awakens in relation to this movie a couple times, right? Uh, Yeah, sure. 
And there's the thing where, like, you know, I mean, everyone has their fucking complaints about Force Awakens and everyone, the boosters, and some people think it's perfect and the people think it's terrible and the people in the middle are the ones who are the quietest, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, The the silent majority. Right. Whatever you want to say, like, you know, pros or cons, it's fucking, you know, throwing the Max Landis, Mary Sue argument into the garbage where it belongs. It is like you look at that movie and, like, Ray wants to find her parents. Sure, it's a very simple, very, very simple thing to everyone can grasp onto. Finn wants to become a hero yeah, and yeah, wants yeah. everyone to think that he's a hero. And the entire film, you know those he wants are a purpose. Those yeah. are the guiding principles of those two characters. Ray wants to figure out, find where she belongs. Okay. And Finn wants to no, no, earn his I get place. It. So let's move over to the Matrix Reloaded. I don't know what any of these characters want to do. Okay. So that's fair. Okay. So here And I are... don't demand that that a movie function in that way for me. So I would say one thing to say about these two movies yeah. uh, is that I think that their biggest failure is to the character of Trinity. Uh, who's very sidelined to me. Yeah, who they, they, they blow it with her. And I think really? you know, one of the yeah. reasons they blow it with her is because they got a lot of shit to do and they literally, I mean, because Morpheus also gets totally sidelined, if you you may not remember, but in The Matrix Revolutions, his entire arc is sitting in a chair. Yeah, I do remember. <laughs> just looking bummed out because at the end of Reloaded, it's all over for him. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I remember that because the only action figure I bought from Revolutions is was... him sitting in a chair? Yeah, it was literally in his, just... like, purple shirt? <laughs> yeah, and you just couldn't pose it. It was just, like, him in a chair. <laughs> just defeated. I just would pretend it was from the first movie because it looked like him with the pills. Um, yes, yes, but even, like, uh, you know, you look at... I was about to say, like, well, so the main characters' arcs of Neo, you know, Morpheus and Trinity, and I was like, Trinity really doesn't have one. Yeah. You know, she's the most underserved here. Whereas in the first film, I think all three of them have strong arts. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I think... The Trinity's th- is still maybe the weakest in terms of, like... Agreed. She's very beholden to a guy, and, mm. like, it's very much about just her feelings for said guy. But, you know, at least she's a much... She's a great character that you love to watch. And it's become a thing, I, I think, Tasha Robinson's the one who coined the, the Trinity Syndrome. Yeah. Which is, like, the female lead in these kinds of movies where she's, like, the badass one... Totally. ...whose main driving force is she's angry that she wasn't the chosen one. Fair. Like, so sort of like what they do in the Lego movie, for right, example. Right, is what they're parodying, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. some other films like that. Um, I mean, and Ray is a good subversion of that because she is the one. Sure. She's not the one who wants to be the one. She's the one who right. finds the out that she was The movie is kind of flipping the chosen. script very consciously. Um, yeah. yeah, which is... Uh, which is great. Cool. Great. Um, so let's talk about The, the Matrix Reload. Oh, no, but the thing I was going to say is oh, the, the Morpheus in the first movie is interesting because he's introduced to us as Lawrence Fishburne, all this presence, very stoic, very yeah. still. The deliverer all knowing. Of, of knowledge, yeah. And then there's the moment where uh, the Oracle, in that speech, sort of explains to him, like, I don't know, poor Morpheus. He doesn't know what he's right. talking about. And the next time you see Morpheus, and I don't know if Lawrence Fishburne consciously factored this into his performance, or if it's just Hard to imagine, this but, uh, amazing know. thing that just happens in well, movies shoot. because of uh, fucking as a medium. But you look at Morpheus, and suddenly he looks pathetic. No, I mean, it's a brilliant reversal on the part of the movie. Right? Absolutely. Because it's right around halfway in. This guy's so strong-minded, he still sticks to his principles, and now we know as an audience that he's wrong. And you watch him in that scene that I think you're talking about, which is basically where he sacrifices himself to save Neo, where he's taking on Agent Smith. He, like, crashes out of the wall. Yeah. And instead of you being like, yeah, you're like, oh, Jesus, like, You feel really bad for him. And he goes from being, like, the, you know, the the wise mentor character who's sort of, like, you know, imperceptible, you know, sure. to, to, to a, you know, a somewhat demented kind of evangelical, t- you know, like a, and, a, a fanatic. And, and a pitiable character yeah. and one you're really like emotionally invested in making sure he doesn't die because it feels like such a threat. Yeah. In this movie, I think he's just so fucking stoic the whole time. Well, he has the big speech. Right. 
Machines! And then he's got like fucking like three big action sequences that yeah, felt very like cool action sequences. Lawrence Fishburne requesting like, hey, I'd love to do a thing with a gun and a knife. No, I mean like, I th- or know? maybe just them thinking like, hey, like we're gonna have cool action scenes. Don't worry, Morpheus, you're gonna do X, Y, and Z. Like yeah. Trinity, you're gonna do this. You're gonna fly off a motorcycle and shoot it into a power plant or whatever. You know. But it, but it's a but little the bit. The character beat. Look, the character beat with Morpheus yeah. is basically like he's like faith has been affirmed. Right. Neo is the one. At least to him, it's like this is this is absolute. Look yeah. at him; he's flying around. He's like nothing we've ever seen before. And so, when all this news is being presented to him, like the machines are about to destroy Zion, like the world might be ending, he's just like, "Yep, great, great. That's what's supposed to happen." Okay, so here's what bums me out about that. Right? It's it's the RoboCop problem for me, mm-hmm. which is RoboCop is like my fourth favorite movie of all time. Uh huh. Um, I have never been able to watch RoboCop two. I've tried so many times to watch the first 20 minutes and I get so frustrated and bummed out I can't make right, it through. Sure. And most films I love that much, I'll watch the sequel even if I okay, hate it. Okay, but what's your point? The problem is the end of RoboCop 1, he becomes Murphy. He like settles it. The sure, two right, halves right. become whole. But the movie has to, un- you mean the sequel has to undo that. And then RoboCop right. 2 opens up and he's got the helmet back on. Right, he's right, talking right. and walking like a robot and he's fucking RoboCop I mean, again. You would agree with me maybe, objectively, RoboCop 2, a worse sequel than The Matrix Reloaded. No question. Right. right. No question. Um, Directed by Irvin Kirshner, and who did by Frank Miller, yeah, the, the Empire superior Back. Empire Strikes Back. Um, but but uh, there's a bit of that problem for me where it's like the arc of Morpheus, and I understand that arc is more how the audience changes their relationship to him sure. than how he changes. Yeah, is like he goes from being this wise, all-knowing figure yeah. of just like such moral and and philosophical integrity, certitude, yeah, right, and certitude to then being this like. Is he pathetic or somewhat is of a, he a Somewhat of a, you know, uh, he's got blinkered, like fanatic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then because Neo does end up being the one, mm-hmm. and when that happens at the end of the first movie, there's, you know, it's somewhat Triumph. emotional when yeah. Morpheus is like reaffirmed is in his one. beliefs, he right? The one. He was correct. It worked. Mm-hmm. And then we watch this movie, and now he just knows that he's right. And it, it's like. Yeah, but does he? Because this is the okay, thing in the movie. So yeah, the, the, you know, so the reversal of the movie. Is kind of the same, which is something you could criticize it for. Mm-hmm. You know, the you know, because the reversal of the movie is like at the end of the movie, Neo. Okay, should we talk about the plot of the movie though? I feel like, I mean, it, I feel like the plot is like it's just a series of the plot is video. Things, very, yeah. It's, yeah, it's very video gamey. Yes, to you know, to its discredit, like you know. It's it's a lot of hunt and sh- sh- hunt and find. We need to go get the thing from the guy. Well, it's like, like objective based, but it's objective based in which it's like okay, you have to go through these hallway these hallways and kill all these guys, and then when you get to the end of there, there's a cutscene, <laughs> and then the cutscene is like four minutes of like dialogue explaining right, but it's why the most brilliant scene in the movie, in, and the, any of the movies maybe. Which one are you talking? The, the architect. Well, I, I'm saying in general, there's a oh, lot of oh, that. Yeah, you know, yeah, where well, it's like, like, like the Merovingian. There's an action stuff. scene right, to get right. to the Merovingian, and then yeah. there's an action scene to get to the keymaster and, 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 and the keymaker, key yeah, yeah. and then and, and the architect, right? Yeah, and and even a little bit right at the beginning to like uh, to get to Zion. Uh, yeah, and and especially with like you know like uh, you there's know. all these sub bosses like there's like the twins who are these characters and yeah they're the magic guys right. uh, they, <laughs> they do some they look crazy look at them you know no characterization no effort to and, yeah. uh, ground them in any kind of reality of the world it's just like oh there's a bunch of wackos and there's it's a feeling I would get playing like a lot of like Japanese video games when I was like a kid. Sure. Where I'd be like, there's clearly a very well thought out mythology here. I can't get it. Every time the cutscenes happen, I'm a little bit lost. And then it goes back to action. I'm like, okay, I guess I just got to run down the hallway and shoot the guys. Like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I understand the immediate objective. So let me, let me, let me hold off on Morpheus's okay. thing for a yes, second. And yeah. let's just go through the basics of the plot. Okay. So the plot of the movie is where six months later, 
Yeah. Uh, Neo and Trinity and Morpheus and uh, uh, what's his what's Harold Perrineau's name Link Link yeah are like a, a skeleton crew of the Nebuchadnezzar. They don't have Switch and Apoc and, uh, and and so on have not been replaced, which is sort of annoying. They say that at one point. They say that that like, he hasn't recruited. The kid yeah. says like I know you need like new crew members and I'd love to be one of them. You know like so there's a reference to it, but it doesn't. Whatever. But sometime in the last six months, Dozer died and Link replaced Do- Dozer, no, but no, they didn't t- replace Tank died. Tank died. Sorry, I keep this. fucking confusing it's, them. Tank died because Mark. Marcus Chong wanted a lot of money or whatever, and so they replace him. With, right. Yeah. But they haven't re-staffed the rest of the team. Right. So, um, so, and he's married to uh, Tank and Dozer's sister. Yeah, played by Nona Gay. Uh, her name is Z, and she was going to be played by Aaliyah. This exactly. movie had a very tortured production because yeah. two of its characters, actors died in the middle of it. Yeah. Aaliyah and Gloria Foster, which yeah. is a bummer. Um, also, I and then his... I mean, Aaliyah's death was tragedy for... Uh, for larger reasons as well, just because she was yeah. she was the best. But yeah, uh, the sister-in-law is played by a, a, uh, by Lawrence Fisher's wife, right? By Gina right, Torres. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's what I thought. It just mm-hmm. was so quick. I they may not have been. I forget when they met. Interesting. They met. They on may on have it? met on this, for all okay. I know, because it is kind of funny that she's kind of there. Quick she's, sidebar. Yeah. It is. It is weird. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah, if they it married was like, in two thousand two, so they sounds like they might have met while they were making this movie. So good for them. Yeah. I love that. Um, Still married. Quick sidebar. What happened to Nona Gay? I liked her. It's a good question. Now, she's in Ali. She was, a, she was really good in Ali. That's where she popped for me. She plays the 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 the, the second wife, right, who's the, the more sort of religious, devout Muslim, Which right? Which is my favorite chunk of the movie. I, I love the earlier chunk with Jada Pinkett Smith where she plays, like, her the first wilder wife. Yeah. Uh, as well. I love Ali. I think it's a good I movie. I think it's a great movie, yeah. Um, but, so she was around, uh, but I don't know. Yeah, she didn't really do anything. She's in XXX State of the Union. Oh, yeah, she is. And that's it. Yeah. That's like it. I don't know. She's I, Marvin Gaye's, what, daughter? daughter yeah. yeah. I always thought she was going to be really big. Uh, she's, liked her a lot. She's, she's a pretty winning presence in this movie, but yeah, it's not. She's, she's gorgeous. I mean, she's, she's got an unbelievable pretty. face. I yeah. mean, it's it's a pretty tiny role in this one. It's a bigger role in uh, Revolutions. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because she was like tipped to take over something for Aaliyah. And Aaliyah at that point, she had done. She'd done Romeo Must Die and, and Queen Kiss, of the Damned. Queen of the Damned. Yeah. And uh, Joel Silver did both of those. Yeah. And it felt like he had sort of he was picked building her, her up yeah. as like, and now I'm going to put her in Matrix and then she's going to be huge. And, you know, um, so when like Nona Gay, who was relatively unknown, got the part instead, it was like, well, now she's going to be. Right. And then, yeah. You know, they may have rewritten it a little bit to scale it back. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Okay. Anyway, so, yeah. So I, I do think it's important to mention, we start this movie in media res in a dream. Uh, we start it with a, a dream. That's replayed three that times That Neo is having of, of yeah. Trinity's death. Right. Trinity, like, in taking on some agents in an office building, shooting out of a window. It's really beautifully shot. It's awesome. She's falling down to the ground, shooting falls up down to at the an ground. agent over She her. gets yeah. shot, and then she crashes into a, a parked car. Like, right. she, you know. And so he's having visions of her death. Right. Uh, so that's, that's, you're loading the movie in a similar way to like Revenge of the Sith, right? You're loading this yes. movie where Neo is worried like this, something bad is going to happen. That's his me. main uh, motivation for the movie. His is, main is motivation trying to figure is how out do I, yeah. what will prevent her from dying? So you've got the Nebuchadnezzar, you got Neo, yeah. he's the one, he can fly, that seems to be his major one power he's in the Superman Matrix. He's now. He's kind yeah. of Superman, he can fight agents like it's nothing. Right. There's a scene early on where he fights two agents. 
uh, and it's just like a fun action scene. Like there's nothing really to it. And they land like a one hit on him, and he goes, "Oh, upgrades!" Like it's like, yeah, he oh, says, I didn't right. know the technology got better, but watch, I'll upgrade now. I can fight you. I just didn't know you were at like right, OS right, right. four. I can I can do that. There's a moment a little later where he bleeds. Like yeah, he is still a human yeah. being, as they say, but it's like you know he's he's like kind of he's like beating the game, as they know? say in the world of the tick. The tick is nigh invulnerable. He can go. be killed, but we've never seen right. anyone it just hasn't come close. happened yet. Yeah. Right. Uh, so they're they're just doing their thing, and and they, they are confronted very early on with this news from an animatrix movie. Yeah. Uh, that like the machines are coming, they're tunneling down, and they're gonna eat Zion. They're so gonna like, eat the city of Zion. At this point, anyone who saw Dreamcatcher in theaters is like amped bam, that they bam, were like the fucking thirteen dollars validated. <laughs> God. There's no way to validate the fact that you saw Dreamcatcher in theaters, <laughs> which is literally about poop monsters. <laughs> Have you seen Dreamcatcher? No. What a movie that is. Who made that? Someone good made that Lawrence movie. Lawrence Kasdan. Yeah. <laughs> the screenwriter of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, and The Force Empire Awakens. Strikes Back, The Force Awakens, yeah. Body Heat. I mean, to his, to his credit, he was adapting a book by Stephen King that was about poop monsters. It's not like he added that in. Yeah, but did, and you're not. They're called is, shit weasels in the movie. This is real. This oh, is a real okay. movie. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it stars uh, Morgan Freeman, Damian Lewis, uh, Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie Wahlberg. Anyway, uh, it, uh, it's Morgan a piece Freeman. Of something. Morgan Freeman also has the biggest eyebrows anyone's yeah, ever got, had in the history of movies. It's crazy. He he's looks got, like, like owl from eyebrows. Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so they return to Zion. Yeah, and we see Zion, the mm. city under the earth, right? Yeah. And. Uh, just what you want out of a big franchise movie like this. Let's go see that really cool place. What is it? Uh, just a frustrating mess of bureaucracy. Yep. Uh, it's a bummer. Just a bummer. Yeah. Just a huge bummer. But but they have non-penetrative orgies all the time. We'll get to the orgy. The orgy, I think, is where 99% of the Matrix Reloaded audiences drops out, like drops the movie. Like, they're like, I don't like this. And then, obviously, they just don't pick it back up. Like, it's like, that's where it loses. That's the you reciting the architect's speech of the movie. See, it's weird. (laughs) Yeah, good analogy. It's weird. People are just like, nope. I'm making the joke about it because it's the joke to make. But I actually have no problem with the orgy. Me neither. I think it's good. And I also like it now as sort of, like, a sign of what's to come of, like, the Wachowskis were seen as these sort of, like, cold, didactic, like, nerd filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And then with the sequel, they're like, no, we're all about this sort of, like, yeah. unity of spirit and this free Absolutely. love kind of right. thing. And we are all just weird, pale little people with holes that should just all yeah. hook up in, like, <laughs> yeah. weird androgynous fashion. Yeah. Like, like, I love in that scene, the sex scene between Neo and Trinity, that you literally can't tell the difference between them when you cut to a wide, which is, like, how the sex scene is mostly shot. Yeah, yeah. They're just two little white things just kind of, you know. Yeah, and it's like they're really naked in that scene, but oh, yeah. all you're seeing are their ports. Yeah, yeah, you're just seeing all their little yeah jack holes. But there's like a full body, yeah, like a yeah. wide shot of like their two fully naked bodies, right. fully thrusting, not like obscured angles or anything. Yeah, yeah. But you're not seeing like you know side boob. You're not seeing no, like underball. <laughs> you're just seeing like <laughs> I wish you saw some underball. To be I'd fair, I'd love to see. I bet Keanu's got great balls. Oh, of course he does. Uh, but you're seeing a bunch of them holes. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if you saw like the most beautiful actor naked, and he just had the most horrifically ugly penis and you're just like god damn it can i say this is the reason like you know i i aspire to be making my own films eventually mm. uh i i uh i i'm like a big proponent of getting more dicks and you're gonna film. get your dick out i don't want i mean look you know if the people demand it i just i i just like i would love to any film i make make someone show yeah, their dick absolutely just because a i think we need to balance it out and b it's like there's something fascinating like in the way that everything is fascinating when it's in a movie 
Like, think about, like, how many different types of boobs you've seen just because you've seen movies. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. You see we more just boobs haven't seen than you'll get to penises. see in your own yeah, life. And yeah. in penises, it's like, we're, we're, and we're, men suck, and we all are like, I don't want to fucking show my, unless you're like a jock and you slap it in someone's well, face. I, I, you know? we, this is a whole other conversation. Could I make you a don't request? want to talk about dicks for 40 minutes? It's yeah. more just just like, a yeah. really quick request. Yeah. I'd like to see a dick, but with the, the a gentleman attached to it, crying. Yes, I'd love to see that. Because you don't see men like yeah, really, it, it, really it, it, cry. It's a very vulnerable. While also have their I, penis. I out. would say Jason Siegel's performance in Forgetting Sarah Marshall the is the closest oh, you yeah, get to that. Yeah. And that's him. He's very much going for the fact that like being naked is a very vulnerable position to be yeah. in in that movie, and it's it works. But yeah. like, okay. but at the same time, he's got like a pretty nice big penis, and you're just like, mm, he he just wants to show it. Right. Off, well, and it's know? it's two things. Like either it's penis as a joke, right? Yeah. Penis is a punchline, or it's like Michael Fassbender shows his dick, and it's like, of course, with a dick like that, you'd show it. There's like that attitude. <laughs> I appreciate that Michael Fassbender gets like legit furious when people talk about it, though. He's like, yeah. I was in a movie. It's like, it's fucking art, and I took my dick out, or I didn't take my dick out. It's like the scene. I would just love just to fuck see. Fuck you. Like, I would don't love... talk about my penis, you weirdo. I'd love to see a movie <laughs> like, where. What if someone in an interview was like, nice vagina? I saw yeah. your vagina, Nicole Kidman, in Cold Mountain. <laughs> More like Hot Mountain. Yeah, that is a really good point. That is a weird double standard there. Anyway. That's I, a let, one negative double standard towards men. Let, I, I just, I'm, all I'm saying is, and I'll leave it at this, I would love to get to see, like, Chris Hemsworth's, like, crooked little dick. You know, I'd love sure. to, like, see in a movie and be like, it's not yeah, a joke. That, that Huntsman Winters War. It's not because his dick is great. And then I'd love to see Paul Giamatti's fat cock. Like, I just want to see a diversity of cocks and be surprised at, like, oh, really? Okay, let's move on. Pro- uh, just because we have a lot to get yeah, through, I'm pro- not, not pro- because prick. I don't enjoy this discussion. Pro prick, more more Dixon uh, movies. So, but anyway, they return to Zion, yeah. and you know, much like the Jedi Council of the Ben's prequels, laughing really hard. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's good. I, I, I'm 100 on board. I really want to communicate. I'm making that. light of this thing, but I also think like let's fucking let's yeah diversity. Anyway, Matrix Reloaded. But like, don't you? It's a fair comparison to like the Jedi Council shit or whatever, oh, yeah. where it's like they show up and it's like we only know Morpheus. He's like the leader in our eyes right yeah. at this point, and they're basically just like Morpheus. Like, why are you so rebellious? Like, why aren't you back here like, to defend the city? Like, they are the worst. Yeah, Harry Lennox, who's a very good actor, like him I love a lot. him. Yeah, uh, what was he? He was just in Batman versus Superman. Poor guy. Yeah, but, he, you know, whatever. He, he he's got a lot of gravitas, no matter what. He's a great actor. Yeah. Um. He's like he's like this stern like general of the army, and who's, he's who's now dating Niobe. Who's now dating uh, Morpheus's ex girlfriend Niobe. Jada yes. Pinkett Smith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which Trinity's like Niobe used to be with Morpheus. Now she's with uh, Locke. But the, and and you're just like, when do people date in this movie? Like they, yeah. they fly hovercrafts around the sewers. Also, <laughs> when are they like, oh, let's get a cup of protein slop? Also, these are. <laughs> Three of the most emotionally distant characters yeah, I've totally. ever they seen. Are like, I mean, look, this is a movie that is emotionally reserved yeah. in every way. But these three characters in particular. You know, you lost Joey Pants and that was that was a major loss. And Mouse and Switch. I mean, Switch was yeah, such Switch a... Switch was such a fucking goofball. She was a live wire. Oh, my God. God do you remember how funny Switch is in the first remember movie? When... <laughs> Not like this. Uh, okay. Not so, like this. So they show back up and to the Wachowski's credit, I mm. mentioned it last week, but I want to talk about it like... The the Council of Elders or whatever is basically just like a like pan Pangea like group of people. It's like every race you can imagine. Cornell West is there wearing yeah. like an old mouth organ around his neck. Do you know that Cornell West does comment has a commentary track yeah, on the Cornell DVD? West yeah. loves the Matrix yeah. movies and has all these fascinating thoughts on them. Yeah. Uh you know, and there's like a bunch of other cameos loaded into it. Well, there's the, the main guy Mafune who becomes bigger in revolutions. 
Uh, yeah, you just see him very briefly. But he's like, I mean, his name's clearly referenced to, to Shiro Mifune, who's like a great Japanese actor. And then he looks Maori. And like, everything's just like so like meshed together, you know? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to find who plays Mifune. I forget the... Uh... Um, but even the, the orgy uh, scene... Nathaniel Lease is his name. Uh, the thing I like about the orgy scene is it's just like all these bodies kind of look the same. And you're talking like very different people, you know? I mean, um, this like yeah. wide swath of but, like right, you mean ethnicities like and body and types and everything. But even the way it's lit, mm-hmm. the way it's colored, the way it's art directed, their costumes, the, the cave itself, it's just like a mush of parts, right. you know? Okay. Um, yeah, this movie's incredibly diverse without feeling like it's trying to do the... United Colors of Benton thing, you know, where it's just like, look, we checked off each box. Mm-hmm. We're a Captain Planet. We got one of each. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, here's just a bunch of people, which I like. Wish they were showing their dicks, but I'll take what I can get. But but story-wise, I'll admit, things slow to a, a bleeding halt. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got this scene, this scene that it, as a teenager I hated, where Neo talks to, like, the counselor or whatever the sort of political leader yeah the this old man uh i forget who plays him too he's also got pretty uh pretty bushy eyebrows that guy yeah i like that. Uh, anthony zerbe is his okay. name yeah and like he has this meandering discussion in like the belly of zion with him and like midway through neo's like so what, what do you like what's your point and he's like oh, i have no point <laughs> and you're like, just like what have we been listening to these guys talk for 10 minutes but they they literally go what's your point i have no point then you shouldn't have said it good point like, Neil responds to, I have no point with another line, and then he goes, good point. Yeah. Like, it's like it's a, it's like a fucking, like, bit of Fry and Laurie sketch for a second. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of, there is a lot of philosophical intent in that conversation, uh, oh, but it's it's the hardest to grasp onto just because it's delivered in a pretty dull way. It's really dull, and I remember, Where, I feel like that scene was, like, that and the architect scene were the main reason I saw the film three times in theaters, because I was like, if I can crack these two scenes, maybe the movie makes sense. I, I'll, I'll like it. You really have to listen to it, and unfortunately, much like the Lucas movies, you know, the, the prequels. It's hard to listen to. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the idea I think that he's saying is he's like, look, machines are here. Like, yeah. we use machines. Like, it, it, this is a symbiotic thing. And, like, the idea of us being at war with them and this sort of, like, never-ending battle, but, like, is ludicrous like that's never going to make any sense well and he says to neo like why do you feel more comfortable with these machines than the other machines and neo goes like because we can control them and he's like you mean you can destroy them right right. and so it's like is control just power is control feeling that you're superior and this movie is a lot about control like as is the obvious all the matrix movies are about that but you know the whole idea of this movie is will neo fulfill the prophecy like will he end this and like make it all better but the idea Which Morpheus is like committed that he will. That's why Morpheus isn't scared that like Zion's supposed to be destroyed by the machines because it's like it doesn't matter. Neo's going to fix it. I know he will. Yeah, the idea in their minds are telling themselves the prophecy is a, a, a world of harmony. Yeah. But what this guy is pointing out is like it's not harmony. Harmony for you is knowing that you could destroy the machines yeah, at any right, time. Right. Harmony is dominance. That's not yeah, coexisting. Yeah. That's just you having the power, which I think is kind of interesting. Right. And yeah. then so and then there's this you know. Maybe ill-advisedly long scene where Morpheus gives this crazy speech, which is supposed to be like this sort of Sermon on the Mount type, like, fanatical thing. Yeah. Where he's like, we must not be afraid, machines! Can you dig it? And then there's like a really long dance sequence and then a really long sex sequence and none of it, uh, you know, feels very... uh, important to the story. Well, they're, they're intercutting between uh, uh, Neo and uh, Trinity fucking, which I'm way into. Yeah. Like, I'm a big fan of that, and I said in the past, that last episode, I don't believe that a, yeah. a couple no, is I actually together unless they have on same way it's got sex on screen, so I 
was a fan of that. The the orgy though is just people waving their arms around. Like it doesn't it's, it's, look it's like a they're club fucking, scene. It's like a it's club, club scene. scene. They're getting yeah. very handsy, but like, like right. you know, and you see like uh Harold Perrineau, uh, Link dancing with Nona Gay, you know, sort of grinding up on each other, and you're like, okay, I th- isn't this like a sci-fi movie? You know, like yeah. Uh, the more- they're trying to advance this big utopian kind of like you know mass of people you know like that's the idea. Oh, right? I'm sorry, we have to talk about this one joke in the movie. There, um, oh, what- the pussy joke. Yes, <laughs> pretty weird. <laughs> pretty fucking weird. So Harold Perrineau, you know, wants to rush home to his wife and see her. Hasn't seen her in a while. They dock at Zion. Yeah, he runs into his apartment. Everyone's apartment is basically like a submarine locker. You yep. Know? Yep. And he says, "Where's my puss?" And then he's like cut off when he sees that like the sister-in-law is over and a couple the, the kids. The nephews, yeah, yeah, the nephew and niece. <laughs> so was his plan just to run in and be like, where's my pussy? Like, that's his plan? Well, I don't think it was with that attitude. I think it was, where's my pussy? <laughs> but it's still a weird thing to say because he's saying it in a very cheery way. He's saying it like he's fucking like, yeah. you know, like uh, it, like it's a leave it to beaver like style like entrance into very the much, home. Very much, very much. And that's why I thought a cat was going to appear. Me too. It's, it, it's, it felt like that was the misdirect. Yeah. It almost feels like his like cute pet name for her, like Honey or Sweetie, is yeah. Pussy. Yeah. But that can't be the case. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty reductive to make. Like, it's maybe the one joke in the whole movie. Yeah. Is, is there another yeah, joke in the movie? I don't think there's movie? another joke in the There's maybe one other, like, wh- where Trinity says something like, oh, that's uh, difficult. Like, there's, she has a few times where <laughs> she, like... That'll leave a mark. Yeah, that'll leave a mark. <laughs> that's gotta hurt. All right, let's move forward. You don't see that every day. So, so the ship... He's standing right behind me, isn't he? <laughs> the number one worst joke in the world. The number one worst joke in the world. Yeah. So, um, Neo, while they're there, yeah. the, Neo gets a message from the Oracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have to like go back into the Matrix, and I'm getting excited because Oracle, we know, is my favorite part of the film, of the first movie. So he they plug back in, you know, they yeah. fly out and they plug back into the Matrix, mm-hmm. and uh, he meets a, a character called Seraph, who is a Chinese uh, uh, action star, Colin Chu. Uh, yeah, I think he's Taiwanese technically. Um, he's like drinking tea. This was a, a part that they they offered to Michelle Yeoh and yeah. she was going to play it and then like something scheduling happened so she couldn't do it. And then they offered it to Jet Li and Jet Li said no. To his credit, it's not a major role. Why would either of them do this? I mean, Michelle Yeoh was going to do it. I'm surprised. The reason they would do it is because it's The Matrix, I think. Yeah. yeah. Just like a hot franchise. But it's just like, this is such an unnecessary character. Well, this is where I start loving the movie and I think everyone else starts. So they, they have a fight. They have a martial arts fight. They like say hello. They're, hey, how are you doing? I'm okay. Like, How's I'm the sorry. weather? Not bad. I'm sorry I have to do this, but like five minute fight sequence. And Neo's like- and then I he, don't at this point know what the fuck is going on, then, who this guy is, why they're fighting. And then Neo, they stop and he's like, great, you are the one. Just needed to check, basically. Like, you don't really know someone until you fight them. And then Neo, speaking for the entire audience, goes like, who the fuck are you? Now, And he goes like, I protect uh, she who is most important. Right. And the door opens and it's the fucking Oracle. Now, this is what I love about this movie. This movie is about what it would be like to interact with literal computer programs. That is why this is a masterpiece. No other movie has done this or will ever do it again because it's crazy. Seraph... And if you look into it, it's literally, I'm going to read He's like an ad blocker software? He is a login (laughs) screen. 
That is literally, he is, he is the personification of what is called a challenge handshake authentication protocol, which is basically a password. I can't believe that this is already working for me. <laughs> my, my judgment of the movie just went up 20%. You might get me to think this is a masterpiece by the end of the episode. Because in I literally the- <laughs> just went up 20%. Because in the movie, you hear him say, like, you don't know someone until you fought them. And, like, you'd think, like, that's actually the stupidest thing I ever heard. Yeah, that's what re- I thought. That's you a- have to remember, he's not a person. He's a computer program, yeah. as is everyone. He's a box asking you to type in a password. And then we have what Jesus is... Jesus Christ. Oh, fuck. He- You're going to convince me. <laughs> oh, then, my so, God. Then Seraph leads him to the... <laughs> leads him to the Oracle, played by... <laughs> played by Gloria Foster in, like, oh, it no. seems... <laughs> Sorry. He leads him to the Oracle, played by like, Gloria Foster in the one scene I think they got with her. Like, a very long scene. Yes. Where she can still play the Oracle. I think she she was pretty sick. She had died of, I think, of diabetes, complications from diabetes, which is sad. Yeah, and I was going to say that, like, a, a thing I miss from her scene in The Matrix... In the, it, oh, in The Matrix. ...is right. that there's, like, a lot of business happening. Like, I like that all, all that this... That she's sort pro- of uh, cooking and, like, you the know, yeah, stuff smoking. she's saying is, like, a second afterthought after, like, I'm smoking right. first, I'm making cookies second, and then I'm talking to Here you. Here she's sitting on a bench, and it may have been physically all that they could have gotten her to That's what I'm saying. So I can't hold it against no, them. No, I, I think that they were really limited... I've heard, I've read stories about like she was still doing Broadway too and was like literally like a physical wreck, you know, like at the end of nights and stuff like that. The only reason why I'm like, you know, uh, sifting through the sand this much on this scene and getting like this nitpicky it's, is just it's, because it's the second most important scene in the movie. And I love the Oracle and I love that performance so much that like I I hate that this scene doesn't have the same sure. juice that it Wit. does in the first movie. But like even if it was just literally she's on the bench and she's like feeding pigeons more actively. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? No, like, I totally I get just, what you're saying. I miss the Oracle doing something else and having Neo be like over the shoulder. You know? Now, I would say this is the scene, and I agree with what you're saying. It's yeah. a good point. This She's is very the scene, good in this, but it's like too focused. It's a too exposition y because it's, yeah. it's an exposition y scene, and it's a fair scene to kind of drop the movie if you haven't already dropped it. Because yeah. it's basically her saying, if you really listen to her, because yeah. what it sounds like is she's just saying a bunch of circular shit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, the question is, what is the question? You know, it's a lot of like uh, the Sphinx and Mystery Men. You know, to go left, you must first go right. Sure. <laughs> but what she says is basically like, if you haven't figured it out already, and Neo has, is like, I am a computer program. That's what I am. Right. You know, and uh, you know, I'm not some mystical seer or whatever. I'm just built into the code of the Matrix. Yeah. And like, I am as much a part of this as anyone else. Mm-hmm. And like the prophecy that I deliver, you know. That's that's my purpose. Like yeah. that's what I'm here to do. I'm not as special as you think I am. Right. But at the same time, I am, and she's mostly trying to nudge him. Like you got to figure this stuff out for yourself. Like I usually exist to just guide the one in a particular path, but this time, not so much. I'm not special because I'm just doing what I was designed to do. But I'm special because I've decided maybe to not. And and also, I was designed explicitly to do this, so I have yeah. a better sense of this than the, anyone else. The point of the article yeah. is the architect explains more. She was literally the program designed to make the Matrix work because the architect like first built a paradise Matrix that didn't work. He says that like it was a perfect world, and you guys rejected it. Then he made like a scary Matrix that didn't work, which is like where the Merovingian and all those guys are supposed to come from. They're all like monsters. Yeah. And then so he's like, so we needed to create like a program that investigated you know, like what humans actually behave like, which is why there is this eternal mother figure, basically. Like that's what the Oracle is. 
You're making this sound so cool. <laughs> That's the problem with the movie, and I will 100% admit it, is like if you think about it enough, the world's so great, but the movie struggles to communicate yeah, this. Yeah, because I wasn't having a lot of fun watching no, this. and I, I get that. <laughs> yeah. I get it. <sighs> but basically, you know, the Oracle is like, I get that you're freaked out about Trinity. I know you're, you've got the sight. You're seeing bad things. Yeah. And, you know, I can only do so much with that. But, you know, like, here I am. Like, you can trust me or not trust me. Yeah. And then there's the burly brawl, the uh, the fight with the hundred smiths. Yeah, so here's what happened during this fight scene. I ate a bag of pretzels because I didn't <laughs> it's give a shit. so long. I was like, so, I, I remember being like, this is the hyped up thing. I can't wait to see how this fight holds up. It was a huge part of the trailer. Like, huge part. Two punches in, I was like, let me get those pretzels out of my backpack. <laughs> and I just ate the whole bag and then it was... I was done with the pretzels and the fight was still going on. It, it is ambition defined, this fight. Yeah. No doubt about it. They're yeah. like, let's try to make as big a fight as we can. You know, we should say concurrently to all this, Smith is back, played oh, by Hugo right, Weaving. Right. And he's cloning himself. He'll like jam his fist into someone and make another Smith. They become a Smith. So he's turned into a virulent like thing. He's turned into a computer virus, basically. And he's an outlaw now. I mean, he's yeah. not one of the he's agents. He's not an agent. He's he an delivers his agent. earpiece yeah. to Neo at the beginning right. of the movie. And like, so he, his journey is parallel to Neo's the, he, and he implies them like, we're tied together. You know, you're here to fix it and I'm here to ruin it. But do you think this is a good idea to have Smith come back? You know, uh, I think that it's one of the things that kind of trips up the logic of the movie at times because right. it's like the movie is so crucially about like Neo being a little different from all the other ones. Yeah. And, like, it's like, well, then isn't Smith too? Right, and the parallel shadow thing that they try to, like, throw onto them, in this one especially the next one. It's kind of a Voldemort thing where it's like, you're in me and I'm in you. Yeah. It, it feels, like, simultaneously undercooked and forced. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it's like, I understand it's like, okay, we hit gold in this first movie. We wrote this part that could have just been, like, a fucking piece of stale bread, as proven by how shitty the other agents are. No, I get it. Yeah, like we, Hugo we, we need to bring in. Hugo back. Right. So, which is fair. And like you know, the movie needs a villain. But I also and who are you going to have otherwise? You know, Neil beating the him twins? is so triumphant in the first movie, totally, right? Totally. And I understand that death is like a loose concept in this film. And you and I had an argument yesterday He's about a how program. much. He's a computer program. Right. Like I hate dead characters coming back to life in movies. I'm like really against that. Yeah. But I also think in this movie, like the whole point in the first movie is that Neo dies and comes back to life. Yeah. It's the course. fucking Matrix. We're playing fast and loose. He's a bunch of programming. I don't care. But I also think like when he comes back, it's a bit of like been there, done that. Uh-huh. Which leads to them having to make a hundred Agent Smiths because it's like, okay, how do you make yeah. Agent Smith more? So I mean, I agree with you, and that's why this the scene's a flop, the and, the action scene. And there's this fundamental like um, self defeating thing in having Agent Smith be the rogue agent because it's like, well, what we like about him is that he's so straight laced and so monotonous. And now if he's, like, the spurned guy and he's yeah. still, like, Mr. Anderson, I you think, made me get no, but fired. He, no, I don't he's have different. a job. He's different. He's different. His a voice is different. Bit. His look is a little different. And I think the idea is he's 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 evolving. If, if, if Agent Smith showed up and he had a fucking beard and his, like, tie was loosened and he was like, Mr. Anderson, I've been going through a rough time lately. My wife left me. You know, I mean, if it was, like, real rogue, but it's, like, he's a little different. Mm-hmm. But it does just feel like, well, you're trying to replicate the magic, but we already have seen Neo beat him. We already know the whole arc. Like, 
I, I feel like if he wasn't in it, I would have been bummed out that he wasn't in it. And then when mm-hmm. he's in it, I'm like, I wish they could have found something new. Well, they blow it with this scene. We got to move forward. Yeah, so, that, you know, like, it's an action scene. Like we said, they just don't have the technology for it. Yeah. And it just sort of turns into CGI. Very obvious. They have Neo wearing a cassock, like a flo- floor length cape. Yeah. Which is hard to animate, you know, like hard to make that look real. Yep, it and looks And then after rubbery. a 10 yeah. minute fight, it's the ending so is that he flies away. Like, he doesn't even beat anybody. Yeah. Like, is this longer than the Roddy Roddy Piper fight and they live? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. I think so. I think so. I'll say, I'll g- I give this fight scene like a two. It's been like that. Ben killed Two it. out of 10? I give it two out of 10. I give the pretzels like a seven. I kept it in my backpack for a while, so they were a little like smushed. Like, a, I like a full pretzel rather than a fragment, but they taste like seven. Good. Okay. Handovers. Right. Yeah. So then the next episode of this movie is yeah. that they go to the Merovingian, who yeah. is uh, the, the oracle says you have to go to the Merovingian and get the key maker. He's like a, he's being held prisoner and he's like a program that can get you anywhere. Now, and he'll I, get you to the source, which is like where you can fix the matrix. Can I sidebar for a second? Sure. My mom is French. She was raised French in mm-hmm. France. Uh, French culture is very important to her. She, growing up, was constantly trying to get me to get invested in like a French heritage and French art and whatever it was. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. The fact that I don't speak is like her biggest shame in, in her life. This, yeah. Right. So she was not a huge fan of like mainstream American cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever there was any like big studio film that had ele- any element of like French culture in it, I would like run back to tell my mom to sell her as like we could bond over this thing. Okay, so you told her about the fact that there's a French person called the Merovingian. I was like so amped that I was like, Mom, The Matrix has two French characters in it. <laughs> you got two French actors doing French shit. Yeah, and like at the time, it's I was played just by Lambert Wilson. I convinced myself that my mom would have loved it because mm. of these French characters. But she didn't even see it. She didn't even see it. And yeah. then I watched it today. And I was like, these are the most insulting they French are, characters. They, I mean, if they're they like, were Italian, they would be wearing Chef Boyardee hats. They're like right. Pepe Le Pew level. Yeah, I mean, well, like, he is especially. Yeah. She's a, she is more. Monica Bellucci plays Persephone, who's like his wife. She's more of just like a sex pot. Like we talked about that in Bound too. Like she's just there to be sexy. There's that part where he says, like, I love cursing in French. And then he literally just says, like, the French equivalent of, like, fuck, shit, dick, yeah, yeah, pop, yeah, butthole. Yeah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> like, he does, he like, does. but so, does it in, like, this fa- French, like, oh, zut alo, merde. Just, just, yeah. The Merovingians are, like, an ancient dynasty in France from, like, the 5th century. Right. Like, a long time ago. And that's the idea of the Merovingian in the movie is he's, like, an old, he's, like, a beta program. Okay, so is that, what, that's, yeah, I need you to give me these analogs. So <laughs> he's just supposed to be, like, MS-DOS or whatever? He's from the second Matrix is the idea. It's never okay. made totally clear, even in the expanded world of the Matrix, but he's from the second Matrix. He is from the Matrix that was full of monsters. The Matrix that was, right. like, some sort of nightmarish fantasy world. No, there were times- And he was exiled, but not deleted. And he like maintains exile, which is like where programs run away right. to not be deleted when they are replaced or overwritten or whatever. No, I understand that he's a program, but yeah. there were times- They're all programs. Right, yes. <laughs> 80% of the characters in this movie. Right. Yeah. There were times within this chunk of the movie where the way they were talking about him- Yeah. Made it seem like he was some sort of proto-one. No, yeah, that that that. that do you understand may- what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Right? I do. They but, said like, I mean, Monica Bellucci keeps on saying like, you remind me of him. He was yeah, like you before totally. this and that. Yeah, you know, he went rogue. I mean, this sort of stuff. I think that's all fair. That's all. That's all fair. That, that maybe he was, he was sort some of it, sort of like leader figure, Benedict Arnold of ma- the programs. Matrix. Yeah, I mean, he existed before the Matrix had the glitch that leads to the one because the right. Matrix had literally the Matrix that we know in these movies had not been invented yet. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. So all his companions are monsters, like the twins, these weird albinos, are ghosts, are are ghosts. They've got these these two these two people who are supposed to be werewolves because Persephone executes one of them with like a, a silver bullet. 
in the head. I thought they were vampires. Vampires, werewolves, yeah, whatever. Yeah, the vampire movie on the TV behind them. I've, you know, whatever. Whatever. And, and then there's a dude with a weird beard, and he's a vampire. The Oracle, <laughs> like, the Oracle yeah. explains this to Neo, where she's like, uh, you, anytime you've heard about monsters or aliens or whatever, that's like old pieces of the Matrix, old programs that yeah. won't go away. Yeah. You know, that's like the, just them freaking people out. Yeah, which is a cool concept. It's a good idea. I, I mean, almost yeah. wish that was just a whole movie. I wish, yeah. like, this speaks to the idea of rather making it like, oh, the three-part Matrix, like, trilogy, I want, like, seven Matrix movies, and Matrix 6 is, like, yeah, yeah. Matrix, uh, colon, Monster Wars. So, you know? Yeah, no, I do. Uh, so, I'm, I'm, I am I would say this is the worst part of the movie, I would say. Yeah. The Merovingian speech. He is, I was, as I was trying to explain to, to Ben, I think he's supposed to represent causality. Which is like, you know, because he keeps talking about cause and effect, which is like a, you know, like, yeah, and a, a, a simple piece of computer programming. Well, it's like if X, then Y. Technically, he's talking about cause and the <laughs> Like, it's the so most overstated French this, accent from a real French person. He's I've a real French heard. actor. There yeah. is this stupidest shit monologue he gives about, like, the cake over there is an orgasm cake, and she eats the oh, cake and has Jesus an orgasm. Christ. I watched this and two like, hours ago, what? and I already <laughs> forgot. <laughs> so, if you she, haven't uh, dropped the movie at the point of the club scene yeah. or the Oracle or the Burly Brawl or whatever, then you're dropping it now. But they literally, he's explaining how he programmed the cake that the woman's eating. They yeah. give you a close up shot code. of yeah. her, like, perfect red lip. Right, as the cake goes in, you see the code, yeah. and as as if it isn't obvious enough, we go into like Matrix vision with like the digital rain, yeah. and then the camera yeah, zooms, zooms in, in between her, her digital legs. vagina. Yeah, yeah, and there's like a big bang in her in her. <sighs> it's dumb in her genitals. Now, can I just do a quick punch up? Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. Uh, I would have loved for the camera to have panned over to an older woman at the restaurant, and she go, uh, "I'll have what she's." <laughs> 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 oh boy! Oh, boy. <laughs> Terrific. Best in the biz. Best in the biz. Whew. Okay. All right, that was a great joke. That ben, was good. Ben ten comedy points. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So this scene is supposed to be informing what's coming later, which is the Merovingian is saying, like, we all have our place. Yeah. We all serve a purpose. Uh huh. And like your purpose is just to do one thing, you know, yeah. and like that's the whole idea of the one you fulfill the prophecy. And as we later learn, like his whole point is to reset the matrix. Right. And then the Merovingian goes to the bathroom and gets a blowjob. <laughs> yes, he does. And Persephone, who makes no sense, even in my wonderfully thought out computer logic of this movie. What is she supposed to be? I don't know. I mean, like she's called Persephone, who is like in Greek mythology, like the right. sort of prisoner of the underworld. Yeah. You know? And like, that's, I guess, the idea. And she basically she's just, his prisoner. She's like a spurned wife. Like, I don't even know. She asks Neo to kiss her. And like she, he's got to do it right, you know. She's it's sort almost, of like a crappier version of the Seraph thing, like of like it's another login screen. Like it's stupid. Or I was gonna say she's like the Violet to his his Caesar in a way. Yeah. Like she's like the trapped like gangsters mall. Right. But I also remember she was it was so hyped up well, that she was in this. Monica movie. Bellucci was like really hot shit that year. Like yeah. it was like she'd been in some movies and it was just like she Melina was, had come out like a year or two earlier and people thought she was gonna cross over. She and was also an just star. she was just like one of the queens of like the kind of lad mag, you know, the sort of. FHM type Maxim, you know, like one of the best looking people she's in history. Gorgeous person. And in French, she's gorgeous. She's married to Vincent Cassell, who's like a fucking badass. And they're not like, only a fucking badass, but a little little weasel of a man. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a crazy. Yeah, and I'm not talking in terms of no, like I know, I know. E equal physical attractiveness. No, they're, they're just but they cool were couple. like France's like Brangelina. Like they were the couple that France was obsessed with. So anyway, she barely in the movie, you know, like a lot of these yeah. things, she, you know, and she has. So I don't want to talk about this scene much. Let's move past it. Okay, you know, they then, make out in a bathroom and Trinity gets really Trinity upset. gets grumpy. The whole thing is like dumb and gendered but and the like, coldest lame. grumpy you've ever seen. She's, like, hey, 
Carrie Ann Moss is kicking ass with the little material I she agree, has. But just the way she plays the scene, I think she's doing what was asked of her perfectly. Mm-hmm. The way the scene is written is, oh no, I hate this. So Persephone, I guess, frees the keymaker for them. I don't, the whole thing's like it's underwritten. It's keymaker is the best character in the entire. Yeah, film. played by Randall Duck Kim. My who, favorite performance. Uh, I think my he, favorite character. He's the voice of the goose in uh, in Kung Fu Panda. I believe Randall Duck Kim, or no, he's the voice of the old dragon Master man. Or the old, uh, yeah, Master. He's Uglay. the turtle. That's right. It's a. Uh, it's the other uh, old uh, uh, respected Asian actor. Yeah, but the one who the does goose. more comedies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's very funny. Yeah, I think his name's Randall. Also, it's Randall something. And, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I, anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, so she frees the keymaker, and there's a whole another action sequence that's pretty cool because it's a little more low scale of Neo fighting like the Merovingian stooges, and also I with gotta, all these like medieval weapons. So it's nice. I gotta say, the second the keymaster, the keymaker, I keep on calling the keymaster, keymaker. Yeah. The second the keymaker comes into the film, I'm more invested in all the action scenes because there's someone vulnerable in the middle of all. Of them. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes it's almost a little too much because they'll like pan over to the keymaker just sort of sitting there while mayhem is happening around. Yeah. It's like, how is this pie even alive? And he's like a feeble old man. But- he is. Like a backdoor, like root kit. Like I don't know how else to describe him. He's just like the guy who kind of gets you into like through the computer system right. quickly. Yeah, he, he knows the passwords. It's like I mean, he's but that's I like all the keys are. I like that's literally he's got a ton of keys. Yeah, so they have to get him. Ben's nodding in agreement. Yeah, Ben. Ben <laughs> likes that. Yeah, they have to get him to like. They, first, they have to get him out of wherever the Merovingian is mm-hmm. and across a highway, which is like seen as like that. You're very vulnerable because there's no phones and like you can't get to uh, a landline to plug back into the real world. That's the best scene in the movie. And I just want to point out for one second. It's an insane action sequence. They built like a whole highway to make it. It's completely bonkers. I want to point out that we completely skipped over the big action scene that takes place at the Merovingian's house because it has like no bearing on anything. No, it's just a fight. It's, it's a, a well done Which, fight. Yeah, the but Matrix it's like... movie, the Matrix does it a little bit too, where they're like, "Well, now we'll have a cool action fight," but it's all better grounded. I, I... And the biggest difference is in all those fights, Neo hasn't become the one yet. So you're like, yeah, is he gonna? Some, how's he gonna uh, angst to it?" And at yeah. this, it's like, "Well, Neo's just, just walking, gonna... watching him kick." It's ass. just good fight. There is the moment in the fight where he bleeds. He gets hit with a knife and he bleeds, and they're like, "See, he's still human." But, you know, whatever. That fight's really well constructed, so it's yeah, a little it's cool. engaging. But within the film, it just fucking means nothing. And then we're lead right into another action sequence now. We've got the two twins who are these white albino ghosts who say things like, we're very angry, aren't we? You know, it's it's crappy. They were discovered from, like, an Australian, like, home improvement show. Yeah, I mean, I think the Wachowskis were just like, we need... Australian uh, twins. We need two twins who can do martial arts. Yeah, and it's like there were two people. <laughs> but I think they were on TV doing like uh-huh. like a like a this old house type of thing. Okay, I'm sorry. No, I thought I was gonna make a really dumb joke. You were gonna make a Tim Allen. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say were there two twin Tim Taylor. Yeah, All grunt, right. grunt, grunt. Yeah, no, I think I think <laughs> they did like they were not actors, but they were like television personalities who did like. Uh, uh, home renovation instructional shows. Okay, and he was just like, "Well, these guys look the same." I mean, I don't, I barely know anything about them. Scrap they are quite annoying on. characters because they're invulnerable. They can just turn into ghosts. They look cool. They look okay. I, I think they look pretty crappy when they turn into ghosts. The ghosts look terrible. Yeah, ghosts look really bad. Weird CGI, kind of like rawr. But ghosts. I like the design when they're in their uh, physical form. Yeah, me too. No, yeah. They, 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 you know, the movie Corporal for form. all its problems, the movie is still incredibly well designed. Yeah, good design. Uh, so. They they have this, and again, let's sort of move past it. We we agree it's good. It's, it's really very good. technically proficient yeah. freeway chase with agents, yeah. with the Merovingians men, and you're just tra- you know you're trying to get the keymaker across. And that's there's the all these keymaker gives it tension that I think the movie's lacked I, until I, that. I point. think that's yeah. a fair point. And you know Trinity's on a bike, and Morpheus has a samurai sword. Like yeah. there's a 
lot of different elements at play that you can cut between that are cool, and the CGI never looks bad, unlike in the uh, other, you know, yeah. in the other scene. But but I like it's so simple. And you got it's the like, key maker. It's like okay, this is precious. We could lose him. They need to get to a door. Mm-hmm. The only way they can get through that door is with the key maker. The mm-hmm. key maker cannot fight. Right. Not at all. Zero. So, so not only are they trying to get through, but they also have to make sure, like they have to fight for themselves and for him. Um, yeah. I like this a lot. So they get to the Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. and they do whatever they need to do. And Jesus. And then there's another crazy action scene where they have to like break into a power plant and like yeah. blow it up so they can like bring down the walls of the sources like force fields so that the key maker can make the right key. It's like this was a big part of the video game. I mean, this was like Niobe's because Niobe's a big part of it. And so we're, we're that's not in the movie. It's her and a guy who <laughs> a was the ghost. other. Yeah. The other Anthony guy Wong, could, which is confusing when they're also the ghost twins. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, so let's not even talk about that either because it is explained in the movie and even in the movie it's incomprehensible and it does not matter. I'm the gonna, whole point is to open this door to get to the architect. I, I will watch the 40 minutes of Enter the Matrix cutscenes for Enjoy a bonus that. episode. <laughs> it's not going to be fun, but for the bonus episode I will cover that. But the, that's the parallel story that isn't even covered in this movie. That was the kind of thing I found annoying when I was watching it the first time. It's hard I was to like, defend. What the, what Who's going to play a crappy GameCube game, essentially? You know, it was on, it was on I, all I platforms. bought it for PS2, and I remember playing it for like 20 minutes and being like, I don't like this. No, it's not I'm good. not having fun. It's not good. It's not good. It feels like homework. But so, because we just need to get to the big scene. So yeah. they do all, they execute all this stuff. You know, there's problems, but they figure it out. The keymaker dies, mm-hmm. shot to death by agents, but he gets Neo the key that he needs to go into the source, which is like the original programming of the whole fucking thing. And he meets this man. Uh, he's played by uh, what's it, uh, Helmut Bakatis. Bakaitis? I don't know how you say his name. Okay. He plays the architect. Yes. Who's the original program who created the Matrix. Which I heard they really wanted Sean Connery to do this. That would have been shitty. I like this guy. Yeah, I prefer that it's not someone you know. It has know. to be someone completely bland yeah. and like kind of like remnant. Like he kind of looks like Sigmund Freud mm-hmm. or like a million other kind of stern white guys from the beginning of the 20th century with this like white beard. Yeah. He's just kind of a. Now, I don't know if you agree. Ben didn't remember this, but do you remember the MTV Movie Awards sketch with, with Will Ferrell? Ferrell? Yeah. I think that devastated the scene into oblivion I agree. once everyone saw it. Uh, I rewatched it very recently. Uh, Will Ferrell's performance in it is amazing, yeah, and everything just, else shit. Yeah, like it's yeah. Justin Timberlake and Sean William Scott are We're not funny. Hosting yeah, it's the a show. weird. And they like make like a drumline reference. You're like, wow, 2003, baby. <laughs> Wanda Sykes plays the Oracle. She's pretty good. <laughs> oh, in it. she's funny. Yeah, yeah, I love Wanda Sykes. But I mean, Will Ferrell, who plays the architect, who sits there and screams like, "Ergo, concordantly." <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it's very funny. This whole speech is very thesaurusy. Well, it's supposed to be like you have stumbled onto whatever, like DOS, like whatever, code. He's an encyclopedia. I get it. No, totally. It's hard. It's hard. But it's one of the most audacious scenes in in like Hollywood blockbuster filmmaking. You got to admit. It's a big ask <laughs> of the it's audience. It's great. It's like even at the time I remember yeah. I wanted to love this scene. I was really on board. I was yeah. like, "Whoa, this is nuts." But it does feel like like, you know, 75% in the, into the movie the film just like the real yeah, stop. This is what I love about it. And the Wachowski step into the theater and they're like, hey, could you help us move? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's funny. No, here's what's happening. Into the, you know, the end, at the end of this movie. some real heavy lifting? Yeah. At the end of this movie, Neo completes the, the prophecy. He completes the hero's journey. Yes. And he has done it. Like he, like they've successfully executed it. And the architect is like, yeah, Hi. Uh, this is the same story that always happens. This literally is like the, the hero's journey. You did it. 
Uh, it is a, just a necessary byproduct of this world I created. It's the only way for it to work is for one of you to exist every time we reload this fucking computer. And you're the seventh one. What is yeah, it essentially it's the saying? Sixth. It's the sixth right. one. He's yeah. like, this has happened five times before. It's a hundred years, basically. All of existence has played out six times. Yes, and literally within the logic of the movie, the Matrix always reboots to the start of the 20th century and plays for a hundred years again. Like, that is literally the logic of the movie. Okay. It's not like all of human civilization plays again. It's like the Matrix reaches this critical mass where too many minds have been freed and, like, the so one we're, is... we're going for 1900 to 2000 is the idea. Basically. And then a hard reboot. Yeah. Like, the idea... Remember when uh, Morpheus says, like, it's really 2199? And yeah. they're like, right. it's actually, like, 2699. Yeah. And that's why, in the logic of this movie, there are all these hovercrafts. There's an, an underground city that works right. with, like, communicate. They, they, the, the machines go in there. They kill everyone. Yeah. They leave it. They repair it. Right. And then they, like, bring the one and a few people into it after, as the Matrix resets. And they're like, they start over. Now, I, I will say. So it's him basically saying, like, dudes, this is a boring story. This is boring. Yeah. Like, the hero saves the day and, like, you know. Just like gets the magical glob and puts it into the bleep blorp and like then it's all saved. Who cares? This is shit. And it also feels like a fucking commentary on storytelling. That old idea that like there are only five stories in the world and they've all been told a billion times. It's like it's the same fucking thing. Now, I remember not necessarily loving like when Neil opens the door because the movie at, at this point has been so, so odd. Right. Sure. And it's like they're they're like sort of edging you the entire time from like what what you want to see. They're yeah. like feeding you something different the entire time. But it was building up to like we got the keymaker. We're gonna go through this door, and once we go through the door, everything's gonna make sense. Right. And I don't know if I thought there was gonna be a twist in the movie, mm-hmm. but I was like, there... I mean, you certainly knew there was another movie coming, so there right. had to be something. I was like, there there's gonna be something that blows this thing open. Yeah. And yeah. Then you get into the scene, and the energy of it is so odd. Which even right. as a fourteen year old, I loved. Yeah, I love that the great. film went from being bombastic to they slowed it all the way room. down. I think Keanu Reeves does a terrific acting job in this scene. I agree. It's a very hard ask, obviously. Especially all the other mini screens, I think, are really good performances. And I love that we keep zooming into the other screens to be like, this happens over and over and over again. And, like, all of your reactions are fucking ordinary. Like, every single one of them. I love the language of this scene. I I love that we're going screens and screens and screens. And I love that there's the amazing transition where they put the key through the door, the door opens up, Mm -hmm. we cut to space. Like, it's a hard cut to, like, just, like, the stars, yeah, and then we zoom out and of that a onto screen. a screen, and then Neo's in the room, right? right. Like and the I, architecture's like, yeah. Um, I I loved all of that, right? Uh huh. Even as a fourteen year old, what's your? Do you have something? Do you have I, a I think the writing thing is like I get what they're going for, but it ends up feeling really fucking like like uh, look, Stanford Review like SAT prep. You I know? love that. I love that. It's the it language just, of the movie. Again, you're talking to yeah, computers. Yeah, it just reminds me of all the kids I hated in high school who sure. were just like, I'm going to fucking ace my verbals. But you know you what? Know? It's, it's, there's no movie like it. Sure. That's, that, that, and I'll admit it's a crappy argument, but that's the argument I got for you. But 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 within that, right? Uh, uh-huh. I love the visual language of this scene. Yeah, it the, looks great. The written language of it drives me a little bit crazy. Uh-huh. Um, I do fucking love the idea that it's like, we're blowing this whole thing up. This movie you're watching is unimportant. Yeah. Like, the first Matrix is like, everything you know is about to go out the window. Right. And the second Matrix is like, this doesn't fucking matter. Well, but it's also like, the first thing is like, hey, the world you know is a lie. It's like a fiction. And the second one is like, hey, the narratives you understand are are totally a fiction. Like, they're just designed to guide a story, like, into the same boring direction. Right, which is a weird direction to go. Love it, love it. 
for a sequel to a movie that everyone loved, which is like, hey, everything sucks. <laughs> like this, like the ending of this movie, is just going like, just nothing fucking matters. Well, so I would say this is where the movie should almost end. One of the problems with the movie is then there's another 15 minutes. I had remembered the film ending almost immediately yeah. after this. So let me just bring. So one thing that's important about this scene that I think is hard to get on first or second viewing, yeah, is that when Neo has arrived, the architect already knows that he's not going to make the same decision as every other one. Right. Because he's saying, like, what always happens is the one arrives, and uh, he can either go and delete the Matrix, which will kill everyone, or he can, you know, just reboot. Yeah. And because the one is always, like, the savior of humanity, essentially like a Jesus type who, like, has humanity on his shoulders, he always makes this decision to save humanity. Mm -hmm. Because Neo's like, well, why would you let, you know, why would you let me delete the Matrix? It'll kill you, too. Like, if we kill all the humans, that kills you, too. And they're yeah. like, well, there are levels we can of survivability. We can, like, we can deal with that. Yeah. But more importantly, you're a person, and we know that. So you're going to make do the right thing. But he says, you're in love with Trinity. That's different. We've never had this problem before where you're in love with one person more than you are in love with, like, humanity. Yeah. Which is, that's what the Oracle did. Right. The whole arc of the trilogy is that the Oracle has made a change. And that she nudged him towards Trinity because she wanted to see what would happen. And also, she's noticed that the ones are getting better mm-hmm. because the architect says it too. He says, you're arriving at these points faster than usual. And like, I, guys, I understand that you really have to watch these movies over and over again to get this. You're bumping it up again. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. really are. It's yeah. great. I love it's it. Turn me around. I mean, I, but look, like, I, I also objectively understand that a movie can't work if David Sims, who's a loser and watches them too many times, has to explain it to you later. Yeah. But that the I, the whole point of what the Oracle is doing is that she is trying to affect a different cause. Her purpose is defined. It's to guide the one to the source. Like, that's what she's there for. Yeah. And as Neo says after he exits the architect, Morpheus, like, the prophecy is just another form of control, and you were just a, a pawn in it, which is a bummer for Morpheus. <laughs> Not to keep hitting the same point, but my takeaway from you saying all of that, right, and your point is I had to watch this a billion times and read everything, <laughs> you know? To like get all of this, and and that, and like look, I said, I hated the movie first, and it, right. I watched it over and over because I just love the world, and yeah. I eventually just dug into it in the right way. And I, think. I do, I yeah, I like the world a lot too. This is my takeaway from that. Mm. I wish they had just gone. We're just gonna make a second Matrix. Here are ideas of where we ultimately want to get to, mm. and let's just do it one piece at a time. Mm. Because the first movie essentially has one big ask of you. Mm-hmm. It's like the world you know is not right. Real. The Matrix versus the real world, right? Yes. Yeah. And then the Matrix Reloaded is like, here's your syllabus for the next semester. Yeah. And yeah. it's insane. Look, right? I yeah, I get you. And it's like it, there's so much to parse in this one film, and then three throws more shit up into the air. Where I'm yeah. like, you know, if they knew that the audience was eating out of their hands at this point, and yeah. Harry Potter was set up at the same time at Warner Brothers, where they were like, we're committed to the idea of making seven of these, but we're yeah, going to make yeah, yeah. one at a time. We're going to listen to the audience response and work with that. I wish they had just gone like, let's just keep making Matrix movies. And the way we've been talking about the James Cameron thing right now. I think that's right what now, they wanted to do, though. I think they I wanted to do this, yeah. when I know, which I think is great. We you know, talk about like... The Avatar sequel. If James Cameron wants to make an Avatar sequel, then I want to see an Avatar right, sequel. Because right, right. I trust him, especially when it but sounds it like a bad But it might let us down idea. in the same way. But it might. Yeah. But when I look at Avatar as one film, I go, that's a pretty self-contained story. I don't see the potential of seven other stories in this world no. unless they're just other stories in this world. Which like is more likely what they're going to be from what you had vaguely but, but hear about them. But the Jake Sully Natiri narrative doesn't necessarily <laughs> need five more stories. But that's not what these movies are about. But it does feel to me like I look at this movie and I'm like, I wish they were doing it the way Cameron's doing it now and David's making a face like a mew, 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 mew No, face. no, I get you. I get you. you know? I get what you're saying. But like, I would love... It'd be a different thing. I, I don't... 
I, I respect the fact that they made it this challenging and this much of a deep dive movie. And a right? deconstruction of, like, yeah, of the sort of neo-prophecy, which is a little hacky in the first movie. That, you know, ooh, savior of humanity is very Jesus-y, you know, and, machines are villains. And even spreading it across multiple platforms and everything is a great idea if the other stuff in the other platforms had worked. I, I'm not defending the other platforms. Right, yeah, you know? But I just, I wish we could have taken our time and had, like, all these ideas thrown out in the same way that the first movie does, where it's like, you really get to absorb it and you get to put like a movie that is engaging with like characters you care about okay within those concepts i agree with you yeah we're almost done with this episode i think because yes. we're pretty out low on time so yeah. but but that's all fair yeah i think this is all fair but at least hey i got to try and defend the storytelling choices that are happening really fucking here good points yeah but the, now obviously as i said the big problem with this movie is there's another movie to come so yeah. neo encounters the architect and the architect says you're not going to do what you're supposed to do and he indeed he instead goes to save trinity who's in trouble moves as we, faster as than anyone has ever moved it's very cool i think it's a very cool scene uh shot where he's like literally got this like tornado of cars around him because yeah. he's going so fast it's great and speaking to Keanu Reeves' skill as a physical actor, mm -hmm. he, like his body language and his expression on it's his great. face, he's not overdoing it, but it's like, yeah, I believe that's a guy who's like <laughs> flying across the entirety of a computer program to save one woman, you know? Right. So he goes, he saves Trinity, he like pulls yeah. a bullet out of her, pull it, pulls a bullet out of her, like out of her, in, like using like, like code power. Rewires her body, yeah. And then they, they wake up back in the real world. Neo uses like kind of matrix powers to shut down some machines. He like shoots an EMP at them. It's a bunch of sentinels. Which is like uh like, oh whoa, like no one can do that. That's weird. But that's another thing. The sentinels come in really late in this movie. Suddenly as well, like they're gonna be all over the next I know, one. I know. And then uh But he does it like the bullet. He holds his hand up and all mm -hmm. the sentinels. They all collapse. Right. And then they're rescued by a ship, and this ship has a guy called Bane on board who we've met a couple times before. We didn't who, even fucking talk no, about because we, Bane. we're not gonna talk about him. But one of the biggest failures of the movie. But anyway, the idea is like Smith has kind of like zapped into his consciousness because he like stuck his hand to this guy. And so he's in the real world now. Yeah, so that Smith has somehow, somehow invaded the real world. I don't like that scene. I don't like it at, at all anyway. I hate it as the boom, to be concluded, cut to black, end of the movie. Like a movie with so much going on, that was the plot thread we had the least This investment. guy who's played by Ian Bliss kind of looks like Hugo Weaving with a goatee to the extent that you're immediately just like, is that just Agent Smith? But also stylized. Or, what is it? Stylized as like a, a cast member, like a background tertiary player called, from Prison Break. He's you know? called Bane. <laughs> right, he's called Bane. They make him look really scuzzy. It's like that problem where, like, where everyone gets a cool name in like a sci-fi yeah. world and it's like, your name is an obvious villain name. We better watch out for you. He's got like two scenes where in the beginning of the movie, he's standing behind a bunch of pipes like he's the fucking xenomorph from Alien. <laughs> yeah, he tries to kill Neo. He cuts really. two lines on his hand. The, the idea is that Smith has never felt pain before. That's right. the idea. Yeah, right. That he's but in the real world. Yeah. pretty obtuse yeah. on a first viewing. <laughs> I'm not defending it. <laughs> right? And then there's another scene where they're like, we need another ship to go back up to flank the Nebuchadnezzar. And he goes to his like captain. He's like, captain, captain, captain. Our ship, our ship, Captain, our ship, yeah. our ship. Yeah. He's like, Bane, shut the fuck up. We're in Chill. a meeting. It's like, our ship, our ship, our ship, okay. our ship. And then, the, and then that, those two scenes happen in the first thirty minutes, and then two and then hours you don't see later him until the end. Well, he's drop, like, he's unconscious on the ship or whatever. He's like, there's a couple bit of, there's a bit of business explaining this, and it doesn't matter. But the camera pans over to Bane like it's a and fucking it cuts, Shyamalan mic drop, and it cuts to black. It's a mistake. And then they go uh, uh, to be concluded. To be concluded, a film by the Wachowski brothers. Like they do it like it's the fucking Shyamalan yeah, like peace. Okay, we gotta wrap up. 
but I'd want yeah. to briefly talk about the box office. I mean, our look and, and our podcast is to be concluded. I mean, this that's the thing, guys. Next week we'll wrap it. We're all gonna up. pick up right from where we are. But let's talk about the box office performance. Uh, so open to ninety-one million dollars, one hundred and thirty-four over a longer weekend. I think it opened May. on a Wednesday, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, huge. It was an R-rated movie. I believe it was the biggest R-rated opening of all time at that point. I think, which I think was maybe beaten at some point later. Was beaten by Deadpool only. Yeah, only by Deadpool. Yeah. Deadpool only. Did, yeah, I think Passion of the Christ had also a five-day weekend. I think there was some weird thing, but I think Deadpool was the first one to actually beat a proper. The movie made $280 million in, in America, which was a very healthy number. Maybe uh, American Sniper, too. Anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, much, but that didn't, have, that didn't open, you know, whatever. Well, oh, oh, yeah, because it was a third, well, wide release or whatever the it fuck was. It was the fourth biggest movie of 2003. It was a big hit. It made a shit ton worldwide. It made uh, 460. So it made 750 million worldwide, which was really good for 2003. Right. So t- so 270 domestic, you said? 280. And the first movie did one. 170. 70. Right. Yeah. So this is like a big. Nice jump. A huge jump. Really healthy. And we'll get to Revolutions. Revolutions was a disaster. It has a big compared. Yeah. Right. Uh, so only behind Return of the King, Finding Nemo, and Pirates of the Caribbean for the year. That was a Big huge hit. year. Huge year. Yeah. Uh, do you want to give me... The top five? The top five of May 16th, 2003. Okay. So here's where I struggle. That month was big for me. Okay? Okay. okay. I believe... Because Finding Nemo came out after The Matrix. Yeah, Finding Nemo is a little later in the summer. Was maybe the last June weekend? or July. I can't remember. Did Daddy Daycare come out that weekend? It, it had come out the week before. It okay. is now number two, uh, st- staying put at number two. Something uh, else was second. number one the week earlier, and it's now number three. Correct. Uh, so Daddy Daycare has now earned 50 mil worldwide. Daddy, I, I did domestic. Daddy Daycare was my my sister Romley's favorite movie. You've talked about this For like least. the first like 10 years of her life. You've seen it like quite a few times, right? Yeah, and even like I drunkenly, the other night put it on Netflix because I just like it's a movie I know you every know line all the rhythms. of yeah. yeah and for the first time like not watching it with a nine year old who's in love with it I watched it objectively and I was like oh it's not as good as I remember <laughs> oh not so good I still think it's kind of better than Daddy Day Camp Daddy Day Camp is a disaster <laughs> my sister feels the way about Daddy Day Camp that I do about RoboCop 2 <laughs> she just my, can't watch it she, can't, she refuses okay. she's like that's not Phil <laughs> like that's not okay, okay. number three number it had three. been number one the week before and it has now has 174 million dollars in the bank wow so was I it, think it had been number one for two weeks concurrently so it was before. the first week of May weekend. release oh I know exactly what it was it was my I think my favorite film of that year X2 X-Men United fantastic movie yes number four is a film that had jumped 15,000% from its previous performance because it expanded to 2,000 theaters. Might be Fat Creek Wedding? No. It jumped to 2,000 theaters. It had been... Uh, the, the, uh, number 53 the week before. It had been a limited release. Yeah. It earned $7 million. It was generally regarded as a bomb. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 was, it was a bomb that was released limited and then went big. Mm-hmm. Was it a studio film or an independent? I think it's a studio film. It's an excellent film. One of my favorite films of the year. Down with Love? Correct. Hey, uh, directed by Peyton Reed, who is going to follow it up with the period set Fantastic Four movie. That's one of my great what-if movies. We've talked about it on the podcast, too. Okay, and number five, if you get this, I'll give you a thumbs up. You got to give me some hint. Uh, It's a movie for kids. It's a movie for kids. Is it Uh, animated? No, it's in its third week of release. It's earned $32 million. So it's a live-action film for kids. an adaptation of a television series. That's a pretty big hint. Flintstones, Viva Rock Vegas? Nope. Adaptation, live action, yeah. television series. Oh, I know exactly what it is. The Lizzie McGuire movie. Correct. Because there was a big, big fight. Oh, was there? 
uh, that weekend, household? that came out the same weekend Over as what to see? X2 X-Men United. Uh-huh. And usually in my grade, I went to a small middle school. Yeah. So we'd all go see a movie together on Friday. Uh-huh. Like 20 of us, right? Okay. Jesus. Yeah. There was like 20. Okay. Uh, like, okay. Okay. And usually we'd all unite on it. And sometimes, okay, this week we're going to Sweet well, Home Alabama. there's one big movie. Right. Yeah, right. But like the boys would go to a, a, a quote unquote girls film. Well, and the girls it would came go out to, the same week as X2. And right? it was I like, was that division. was the first one where like, these are the two biggest events for yeah, our respective right, groups. Right, yeah. Like the girls were so invested in Lizzie McGuire. Mm-hmm. Not not to be binary about this. No, but no, at no, the time, of course. It yeah, was marketed right. right at them, you know, right. teenage girls. Right. Like, and we, tween age girls, really. That's sort of, it was a very early example of that related I, to like the Hannah Montana model, like the iCarly thing. And I loved X-Men and, and, the first X Men was huge for me because it was the first time. Of course, like, no X Men was like an event beyond all events, and everyone else was into the nerdy shit I liked. Like yeah. it was cool again. Like I could no, I fucking know. talk about X Men with people. I know. Yeah, I know. love um, X two. So I did get all five with with some prodding. Yeah, with a little bit of prodding. I, the uh, the last two would have been tough. I usually give up like on one of them. Yeah, some of the other movies, and we'll wrap after the you know Identity, uh, great uh, you know. John Cusack. Uh, that came out then. Wow, yeah. I forgot the movie. This that Ang- long. Anger ago. management, holes, which is great. A mighty also wind, which is great. Bend it like Beckham, which is really nice. Yeah, good movies. Good movies. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, do you remember the ain't it cool banners for Bend it like Beckham? No. Uh, Fox Searchlight bought banner ads on like the ain't it cool site that were up for like six months. Oh, okay. For Bend it like Beckham, and it was just a picture of Kira Knightley uh-huh. in a sports bra. Sure. It said Bend it like Beckham in theaters near you, and yeah. then the pull quote from some fucking critic was. Kira Knightley is the sexiest oh, tomboy Jesus. beanpole on the planet. I actually vaguely remember the use of the word beanpole, so maybe I have seen it. It was that. one of the weirdest phrasings I've ever seen, and they just I ran mean, she's a bit of a beanpole. One, but it was also <laughs> such blatant, like, let's get the, right. the basement and dweller she's like mouth free. 17 years old in that movie, she's like IRL. Yeah. Because yeah. when she shot Pirate, she was 18. Yeah. 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 She was maybe 16 Bennett Light Beckham, but she's the sexiest right, that, yeah. tomboy beanpole on the planet. So in case. Uh, you were wondering, we are 13 years overdue for an apocalypse because we've already hit rock bottom as a culture. Okay, so to just wrap up, how do you feel about the challenge that you posed to me to try and make The Matrix Reloaded a good movie? You definitely boosted it a bunch. It nice. makes more sense to me. I, I couldn't even grasp an argument, really. Right. You know, It wasn't like I thought it was without merit, but I couldn't figure out a positive read on the, the film. The simplest version of my argument boils down to the two things, which is one, this is a movie that's about the hero's journey and trying to subvert it. Right. And pull the sort of mask back on that as the first movie did on sort of like you know, 90s reality. And two, and the wonky stiltedness is because everyone's a computer. Everyone pro- is a computer. Yeah. This is a movie set in a computer. Now, Matrix Revolutions is a movie that's mostly not set in the Matrix. It's mostly set in the real world, right. which is part of its problem. I would say it's a bit of a lesser movie, but it also has kind of bigger ideas. So you've, yeah. got, you've got that, you know? To be concluded. C- to be concluded. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think so, we won't do a burger report on this one just because no, it's we'll taken do, we'll a while. No, we'll do one next week. We'll but uh, next but week. as always, Griffin, are yeah. you loading something? No. Oh, okay. Just, uh, please rate, review, subscribe. Yes, please. Uh, uh, subscribe on iTunes and everything else. Uh, thank you to all our fans out there. I think about the time this Thanks, episode. Uh, Haas Hogs, uh, David Dogs, Griff Heads. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, this episode's going to drop somewhere at the beginning of May, so you're about to start work on The Tick? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be a superhero right now. Um, but uh, well, we're probably around the time of this episode going to put a poll up on Twitter. Oh, Possibly for, we're going to have a Facebook account For who soon. we should do next. Yeah, because yeah. we've got some contenders so and we vote. don't have a clear leader. So vote. Please, please vote. Check our, our social check media pod, tabs. Follow us. Like us on Facebook and, and the like. Um, and uh, yeah, let, let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as always, 
you know, we, we get a lot of emails of people suggesting stuff. I read all of them. I rarely respond because I'm bad okay. at emails. But just know if you've sent an email, I have read every okay. single one. Okay. And all your uh, your suggestions are processed. Are noted. And if you'd like to write in, that email address is blankcheckpodcast at gmail. Correct. Okay. And uh, what? And as always. And as always, after which you will be required to select from the Matrix 23 individuals, 16 female, 7 male, to rebuild Zion. Failure to comply with this process will result in a cataclysmic system crash, killing everyone connected to the Matrix, which coupled with the extermination of Zion will ultimately result in the extinction of the entire human race. For levels of survival, we are prepared to accept. However, the relevant issues is whether or not you are ready to accept the responsibility for the death of every human being in the world. It is interesting reading your reactions. Your five predecessors, were, by design, were based on similar predication. Uh, Contingent of fermentation? What the fuck? Was meant to create a profound attachment to the rest of your species, facilitating the function of this one. While the others experience this in a very general way, your experience is far more specific vis a vis love. I propose she entered the matrix to save your life at the cost of her own, which brings us to at least a moment of truth wherein the fundamental flaws ultimately expressed and the anomaly revealed is both beginning and end. There are two doors. The door to your right leads to the source and the salvation of Zion. The door to your left leads back to the matrix, to her and to the end of your species. You adequately know the problem is choice, but we already know what you're going to do, don't we? Already I can see the chain reaction, the chemical precursors that, uh, the precursors that signal the onset of emotion designed specifically to overwhelm logic and reason. <gasps> An emotion that is already binding you from the simple and obvious truth, she's going to die, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Hope, it is the quintessential human delusion, simultaneously the source of your greatest strength, greatest weakness. Is this, is this actually doing this? Is this still- and then Neo says, if I were you, I would hope that we won't meet again. Is this going to be on the episode? And the architect says we want. All right. Just yeah. let it go. Intern Brian, can you keep all of that? Uh, yeah. Great. Thank you. This has been a UCB Comedy production. Check out our other shows on the UCB Comedy Podcast Network.